Welcome to Dark Days Radio, episode number 36, number three dozen. I'm, of course, your host, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chris. Hi there, yeah, um, pretty good, yeah. It's just uh, a typical wet weekend in Germany. Mm. <laughs> cool, and we're also joined by an art director, one of White Wolf's luminaries from uh, even before Vampire the Masquerade came out. The man, the myth, the urban legend, Raging Rich Thomas. How's it going, Rich? <laughs> Hi there, Rich. That's a nice intro, thanks. Uh, so how's everyone's like gaming been? Uh, doing anything cool? Ooh, let me think. Um, I am one step closer to having a gaming group sorted out over here. So uh, we met up with someone who is actually into playing some New World of Darkness. So that's a good start. And... Mm-hmm. He seems to know quite a few people uh, in and around the area and quite happy to play in English and so forth. And also, I have a feeling that I may have to do some intro games for the Dusseldorf Gaming Group Meetup. So, you know, the meetup.com web space thing? Yep. Well, yep. there's a group of gamers that play board games and so forth. And I joined it because I thought, hell, I might just find some people to game with. And sure. it's mainly made up of... Um, of kind of like a mix of international people who, who've moved to Germany for whatever reasons. So it's predominantly English speaking, but they're like, uh, you seem to know a lot about this. Could you show us how to play and what to get into? And it's like, yeah, I think I know a certain game I could, intro game I could run for them. So I will be pulling out ghost stories and running uh, something out of that for a group of people. Awesome. So. Yeah, always spreading the uh, the love of World of Darkness. The love being your heart ripped out and forced to buy more books. <laughs> always one of my favorite parts. Cool. So yeah. Oh, and also I've played some more Secret World with um, James. So um, which is good fun. It's nice to kill monsters. Yeah, yeah. As I mentioned on the uh, on the posters, we should see if if Peter from WadNews.net has been playing that because I know he got a bunch of the beta keys. So mm. it'd be pretty interesting to see like what he thinks about it because he's obviously pretty excited about this World of Darkness MMO that we still don't really know much about. Do you think he is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, Rich, have you been playing any games or getting anything started? Do you do you have time for that? Well, you know, we finished up. Um... About a month ago, we finished up a uh, chronicle we were playing of uh, V20 that we started back in. Uh, uh, well, I guess it didn't start. It. Well, yeah, we played the first round, the uh, first game of it in, at, uh, at Grand Masquerade last year, and uh, and we were playing that over Skype, and then we and then we started going into Google. Um, was it Google Hangouts? And that was that was actually really good because you could also pull in a bunch of the little Google doodads, like uh, uh, little doodle things where Eddie would uh, Eddie Webb was running it, and he would put up a, his map, and then we could all go in with our different colors. And you know, I'm going to run behind this uh, this wall over here and draw a little arrow and stuff. And then of course I had to draw little pictures of the monsters attacking us, and you know, a, a couple of wangs got on there. I think I don't know how that happened, but. Uh, so right. we wrap, we wrap, put that on hiatus. Eddie's uh, Eddie's repowering up. Hopefully, we'll get started on that again. And uh, 
also just started up a D and D four adventure with my kids that uh, we haven't played. We, we we were playing for a while there, and then we kind of had a little bit of a break, and sort of back on that, and uh, I'm just delving into Diablo three myself. So, oh, okay. So that's that's what I I tend to do in between emails and and longer conversations and stuff like that. It's just to, hey, you know what? I have about fifteen minutes. Need to cool down a little bit. Let's go down into this dungeon see what I can discover. Yeah, I mean, I, from what I've seen, because I had a quick go on Diablo three when it was in, it's um they had the, the demo for it, and I didn't I didn't kind of like it didn't really grab my attention, but I can definitely see it as being quite a, it's quite ca- it, you can play it quite casually. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of. That's I, nice I, to have I, casual I, games like that. It's the only way. Like, I mean, even even when I play MMOs now, uh, I, I have to play them on a casual level because I just can't devote five hours to doing a raid or anything like that it just is life is just not allowing that to happen Mm. cool all right guys so uh for those of you that don't really know i've been in grad school for the past couple months so i haven't really been doing much gaming and this summer i decided i should get back in the saddle run a chronicle and i was thinking that i was gonna run werewolf except it would be a kinfolk game and it would happen after the apocalypse so after trying mm-hmm. to convince people to perhaps give Werewolf a go and then explain that, wait, there's not actually going to be werewolves and all that stuff, they were kind of flaking out on me. So it hasn't mm-hmm. really been working out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. I might just cut my losses and r- just run Cthulhu Tech instead. Ah, I yeah. But, I do uh, want to... R- I need to run that. We need to, we need to review that at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's definitely... For for World of Darkness fans, it's really up your alley, I'd say. Yeah, uh, definitely think. heavily inspired by White Wolf. I've been kind of thinking that that um a a mech game, the the mech style game of that would be quite would be quite fitting to play it as kind of like a, a Google Plus or Skype game because I think it gives you the feeling like you know you're in your own little mech you're with in your someone else around. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're in your cockpit. Yeah. Right. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully I'll be uh getting something written up for that and, and proposed to people uh, in the near future, which should be awesome. But uh, let's, let's get on with the episode, and uh, I guess we'll move on over to the mailbag segment. Uh, so we got some mail, uh, got some comments. Uh, one is from Laughing Hyena over at the uh, Rage CCG forums. Uh, it was actually posted on our, our Podbean site. And she let us know that the Circle of Red, uh, which we were discussing a whole lot with uh, with Matt McFarland last episode is actually they're originally from Werewolf the Dark Ages, the uh, second edition supplement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's good to know where they originally came from. And she also brought up that uh, if you want to know more about cults in Werewolf, a very good supplement is Blasphemies for Werewolf the Forsaken. Uh, and that was a little right. embarrassing yeah. that I didn't recognize that because I got it right next to me here. <laughs> so I uh, should have known that one. Uh, another another thing is uh, that our Apostrophe page has been really busy. Uh, a lot of questions coming in for Rich Thomas, of course. And we've also got a really awesome game of Hunt the Reference, mm. uh, which is uh, kind of from back at the, the WGPRN forums. We had this quiz game going, and uh, it started again. We've got nearly 50 comments on it, so a lot of, a lot of good questions coming up. And uh, I just posted one. And we'll see if anyone can answer it. It's it's a bit of a tough one, I'd say. What's the, what's the question? Um, I I don't know, cause cause you'd be oh, able to no. answer it, Rich. 
I, yeah. I probably, you know, I probably wouldn't. That's one of the things. We, Shall we test him? We get, uh, we get a huge kick out of is how you know. Sometimes, sometimes the details are not as, as not as wedged into our brains see, as, see, as the fans. Uh, the got it. <laughs> the the uh, question actually came from uh, a a V twenty White Wolf blogcast with Rich Thomas and Eddie Webb. So, <laughs> oh, I, so would, I, I would expect that you'd know the answer oh, since you're, you're the one who brought it up originally. You're so you're so optimistic. I probably don't remember what I said. Uh, all right. And he will tell you that happens all the time. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, but suffice it to say, check out Posturus and uh, see if you can answer this Fair question, which I'm not going to mention on the show. I won't blurt it out. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, we also got a, a secret frequency submission from Malleus uh, concerning bath salts. I can't imagine <laughs> why. Um, hmm. Well, hmm. it's slightly related to um, a a poll that I put up on our Facebook page of what kind of things people wanted to listen well as an idea and uh, one of the things was kind of related to bath salts so yeah mm. yeah zombies mm-hmm. cool uh, I think that's just about it for the mailbag uh, Chris do we get anything else uh, I think again we had a because now I've actually got um, the most recent uh, Darkwing out for um, Chronicle Design so just another thank you to the Fear the Boot guys because they gave us a shout out on their most recent uh, show or the one before that and otherwise I'm, I've got all our um, Google Analytics now up and running so I know what things people are interested in when they hit the Podbean site and the Postra site so hopefully we can use that to make better choices on what stuff we should include in the shows interesting Oh, yeah, that was really cool. I saw that there was one Russian person that came to the site, and he was there for 30 minutes. So I'm not sure if he was just really enthralled or trying to hack it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, you know, who knows? Who knows? All right, cool. So that wraps up the mailbag segment, and we're going to go move on over to White Wolf News. All right, White Wolf News. So, uh, what products have come out since the last show? Well, Victorian Lost. Uh, very, very good looking. Glad it's out. Which is awesome. I've basically spent the entire last weeks just kind of slowly making my way through it. So, it's a great little supplement. Um, yep. Yeah, we, I think someone had a... Um, it's, um, as someone said, it's, it's, a, it's a good kind of like... It's a good quick primer to run... Uh, changing games in Victorian London, um, and also people have said like uh, it's great to use alongside, say, um, Victorian Age of Empire, and maybe uh, you know, kind of you know, books which are also more in depth on the Victorian period in general. Exactly. To 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 marry with it, and then you've got the whole works for it. But on its own, you've got a lot there. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to run anything set in Victorian period right anytime soon. Maybe if I, I think I would use it to help me if I was to do a flashback for a Victorian age Venice episode, which yep. would be quite interesting because the Victorians loved Venice. So, um, but yeah, some there's what is it? there's a there's assassin there. There's like some uh, a motley straight up to use and quite a few characters and two new kiths and yeah, there's a whole load of extra bits in there and just general discussion on. Um, 
on how to get the, the, the it's more on how to get the mood and the feel right for the games rather than being an in-depth discussion of what the Victorian period was like. Right. Because there's it, it, hundred it, books on that. Absolutely, that was exactly where we were going with it. Um, you know, there's there's certainly, and this is again something that we go back and forth on as we discuss these things. But my feeling was, and Eddie Eddie agreed that you know it that you could find out so much information about the Victorian era, including just going through a Victorian uh, vampire. Uh, yeah. if, if, you know, if, if your library kisses are just our stuff, you've already got a reference material, even just with our stuff, uh, that it was more important to show how the, you know, how the changing society was affected by all this than what mm. was Victorian society. You know? and, and so really trying to keep the focus on those guys and, and put in a lot of bits and pieces uh, that you could then uh, run with yourself. You know? Yeah, I mean, like, for instance, like, um, when we want to run... Um... Uh, what's going so one of our like unhallowed metropolis because that's neo-victorian um mm-hmm. a book that called the victorian house and it's an in-depth discussion of what victorian life was like for the housewife and and mm-hmm. family and so forth and we always we reference that every sort of all the small little like what all the customs and society would kind of do as they meet and greet each other but you don't need all that in a in a victorian loss supplement yeah, I mean that that was our thing on it. Also, I mean, you know, one of the things was each one of these um historical things that we've done mm. uh with New Age Vampire, with Mage Noir and now with Victorian Lost are are also not supposed they're not they're they were never designed to be 220 page books or anything like that. I mean, that's just not what we're what we're doing with these things right now. So, you know, it's uh, hopefully sweet a lot of meat right there and not a lot of uh, not a lot of extraneous talking going on in these books yeah uh so rich i I got a question for you i haven't picked this Mm -hmm. up yet but i'm thinking about getting it uh print on demand and where is it supposed to go on my shelf is it supposed to go next to the changeling the lost stuff or the victorian age era you know victorian age vampire stuff because it's got the 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 design of changeling but it's got Uh, the color right victorian age vampire what do you think I think you can go either way depending on what you're doing. If you're mostly playing a, a lost thing and you want to like – like you could do flashbacks or you just want to do you know, a, a, a different kind of campaign, you can, you can stick it with your changeling. And if, you wanna, if you're very much into Victorian uh, vampire and Victorian era, then it will fit right into your Victorian slot there next to, uh, next to vampire. Excellent answer. Multi-purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. And moving on. Uh, this is actually not in the show notes, but uh, I just realized that we didn't put it on here. Children of the Revolution Kickstarter mm-hmm. funded and everything. It's good to go. Yes, and we, we made it to the stretch goal for the Red List, correct? Yes. Outstanding, outstanding. And that's uh, Matt McElroy is going to be writing that up, correct? I believe he's probably running it up this weekend. Wow. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> it was very exciting. That was one of the reasons why it was, it was so great. You know, the, the Kickstarter format uh, allows you to get... Um, involved with projects that you know maybe there would be harder to fit into a schedule or figure out a way that they fit into what you're trying to accomplish but like something like the red list where it's like hey that's a great idea he's incredibly enthused about it and it totally ties into the sort of the theme of what we were doing right there with the with the children revolution that it just seems like a really nice fit and we get a whole new thing out of it which i think is pretty cool Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah, we're we're pretty excited about it. I'm I'm waiting for the the text to come in from uh, from the editor and Justin, uh, some maybe sometime next week. And uh, most of the art is getting into my hands right now, so uh, it's I'm, I'm hoping to move this one a little bit faster than we so far we moved uh, 
uh, V20 Companion, which you know was was our first Kickstarter, and and so every stage along the way is slower, and and you know you're kind of figuring out all the details as you move along. Uh, next up on the show notes is uh, No Grand Masquerade. Uh, I saw a uh, pretty lengthy letter mm-hmm. from Chris McDonough uh, discussing the reasons why, uh, mostly citing that uh, it's expensive and um, they're focused a lot on Dust right now. Yeah. Dust 514, I believe, is the uh, the full title. So, but White Wolf is still uh, supporting its fans with a, uh, a Mind's Eye Society LARP event which is very cool, and I'm, I'm happy to see it uh, still going on. It, it's really reminiscent of the International Camarilla Convention, I feel, which is kind of what the Grand Masquerade co-opted in the past. Or uh, let's, uh, you know, I've certainly uh, used the same excitement to, uh, to put together, a, you know, a, a slightly larger and, and more involved uh, experience for everybody over, the, over that uh, time period. Mm-hmm. But uh, this, this will be, you know, as I understand it, um, this will be a, a smaller thing uh, in Atlanta, and yet still, what they didn't want to do is they didn't want to say, "Hey, it's it's the new, it's another Grand Masquerade," and then have it not be so grand, you know, which, mm, which kind of diminished the, the 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 excitement level uh, whenever you know a, a new Grand Masquerade could be done. So, this is a, I was calling it a petite masquerade, but I don't think that I don't think anybody uh, wanted to, to call it that. <laughs> that's what I call. It. That's fine. Uh, so, so Rich, do you think there's going to be any way for non-LARPers to, to get involved or, or any, anything special maybe that weekend? Uh, I know someone was saying maybe an SAS. As far as I know, that the, um, uh, the Wrecking Crew is still going to be doing um, uh, tabletop games uh, at, at this event in particular. Okay. Uh, last time I talked to, to Dave uh, and, uh, and Rick, who's the, um, the guy who's pulling the whole um, event together um so i think they're going to be doing that if we can do it in time which i'm hoping we certainly can uh we would be wanting to do the werewolf 20th um sas there as uh as like we did with the the v20 sas in um at grand masquerade last year so that's uh, something i'm working with dave on right now to try to uh, make sure he gets the right files and so uh, what we did last year is we, we actually took the outline for the sas it was dust to dust and we sent it over to Dave before it was actually written, so he could start hitting it with ha- with with hammers to say, "Here's how these things kind of play out when you're in a uh, you know you're in a convention, sitting around a table with a bunch of people you don't know. Um, here's how to make these things exciting and, and cool and interesting." And I think it really helped uh, Dust to Dust uh, when it all came together to be a, a much uh, much more enjoyable um, and and very usable uh, SAS. So we're gonna try to do the same thing with uh, the W21. Uh, if I told you the title to the W21, though, uh, you would immediately uh, get some ideas on what it was about, so I'm not going to do that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I can respect that. I can respect that. Well, like I say, we haven't really – we have to work it out with Dave on, on the outline for it and, and let him start messing around with it a little bit with his, his wrecking crew, and, uh, and then I'm sure we will – I'm sure we will announce it. And of course, there's been a lot more information uh, for Mummy coming out. Uh, a lot about the magic and the the tiered powers. Uh, I believe the magic is the... called the Utterance, which yeah. at least that's their yes. most powerful magic. Uh, yes. yes, very interesting. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of new ideas. You utter a curse, don't you? Perhaps, but it seems to be more just dealing with the impossible or making that well possible. Mm. Um, interesting stuff. Uh, feels a lot different than than what we had with. 
say, Mummy the Resurrection or, or Mummy Second Edition back in the old World of Darkness. So, I think, I think, I think people coming from, because I mean, you know, we had what? We had three different mummy experiences. Yeah, yeah. People coming at it from that direction, plus people from the new World of Darkness who uh, are, you know, aware of mummy-like themes in Prometheus or, or in Geist. You know, all those, all those different viewpoints have to come together on this one. And so I think what you're going to find is there's going to be stuff that really seems new from one point of view and might, once you see it in context in the book, go, oh, I see how that all fits together. Um, I think, okay. uh, I think uh, Colin Solomon, Solomon and, his, uh, and his crew have done a really good job with this, to, as, as huge World of Darkness fans themselves. Uh, I think, I think it's, it's, it's going to be something special. Okay, good, good. And uh, something we missed on the last episode, which I feel is actually really important to bring up, is that the Geist 1.1 revision came out, and this is huge in my opinion. Yeah. I've been uh, very much a supporter of Catalyst Game Labs, who uh, very frequently put out new revisions of their books with errata and all that kind of stuff, and I'm really happy to see White Wolf going in that direction as well. And the new print-on-demand model really, really lends itself to this as well. So, certainly, I mean, if, if PDFs are the easiest thing to do the revisions to, right? I mean, they're the, mm-hmm. they're the, the it's just, it's an electronic file and, and you make the changes, you upload it, and everyone who's, who's clicked that it's okay to get updates, so click that it's okay to get updates if you buy the PDFs, guys. It's, it, you will get, for free, you'll get the, you know, whatever the newest version of these things are, and, and, you know, we try when we know there's something that really needs to be fixed to get in there and do something about it. Um, yeah, I really need to pick up a copy of it because my uh, it's part of the reason because I knew it was coming out, and it's part of the reason I left my hard copy back at my uh, mother-in-law's because obviously with moving country, I was like, it's a book right. that I'm not going to use straight away, and I know there's a revision, and now it's here, <laughs> so yeah. um, I need to get it. Yeah, bad. and you know, it was, it was you know, Ethan was uh, you know was the the guy who spearheaded that and uh, Aileen was the one who who pulled it all together so it's the same you know the same team that did guys to begin with except very focused on on fixing up uh, some of the some of the alterations and some of the things that slipped in there that we we still have not figured out how some older files were were thrown into the actual printed oh, right you know like uh there was there was just a couple weird things that went on with that and um mm. yeah Strange, strange stuff. But it, it definitely was something that was been preying on all of our minds that we needed to do something better than than what we had, uh, what we had, what we had put out there. It's still awesome concepts were contained within, but there was a lot of little broken parts. Gotcha. And we're very happy to see the uh, the new version. Now, finally, uh, the last bit of news is uh, not exactly White Wolf related. Well, it's White Wolf related, but. Um, the podcast of darkness is apparently coming back uh, way back in 2005 2006 there was another world of darkness podcast uh, which had a multitude of episodes um, but it kind of fell to the wayside around probably like 2007 and then of course in 2009 darker days came around uh, but it's coming back and uh, definitely want to encourage them to put out some new content uh, their new episodes are not out yet but they do have the old ones and they can be found on LimeFlavor.com. We'll put a link in the show notes if you want to check out some other World of Darkness podcast goodness. And with that, uh, I think it's time to move over to the Secret Frequency segment. It's under the stairs. <laughs> I love 
Tonight we explore a topic suggested to us nearly three years ago by Ariadna back in the WGPRN forums. This is an urban myth with roots in three states, each with a different origin story, but all resulting in the same sad, feral danger lurking in the woods. I'm of course referring to Melonheads, the subject of folktales in Michigan, Ohio, and Connecticut. Despite originating in three distinct regions, the Melonheads all share the same name and similar appearance. They're described as short people, whether pygmy, midgets, or children, with enlarged craniums. Though small, the Melonheads are vicious, and locals are warned not to stray too far into the woods alone. So let's look at the uh, first location of Melonheads. According to the local lore, there once stood a Junction Insane Asylum in Lake Town, Michigan, where children with hydrocephalus were treated. Hydrocephalus is a nasty condition, where the cranium expands as the child's skull swells with spinal fluid. It causes tunnel vision, convulsions, a variety of other disabilities, and many times death. Even more gruesome, the stretched skin over the bulging skull can be blood red from strained veins. Of course, not many doctors or nurses wanted to treat children in such a horrific state, nor did many of the locals want to deal with them. It's unclear exactly what happened to the asylum, whether it was burned or simply shut down, but the near-feral hydrocephalic children were forced into the wilderness. It isn't known exactly where the melonheads hide. Some say they reside in or around a felt mansion. Uh, others believe that they are found underground in a network of limestone caverns. Uh, despite the various unknowns, hikers, bikers, and travelers have seen melonheads and less frequently are actually attacked by them. Uh, they've seen them for the past several decades. Which begs the question, how can children with, with a normally fatal condition still haunt the Michigan woods? In Ohio, the melonheads haunt the Cleveland suburb of Kirtland. According to legend, the melonheads were orphans under the care of a Dr. Crow who performed experiments on the children and caused their deformities. The children eventually rose up and killed Dr. Crow, burned the home down, and retreated into the forest to feed on babies. To this day, melonheads can be sighted along Wisner Road. And uh, while similar to the Michigan legend, one has to ask, what could Dr. Crow have done to make these children hunger for flesh? Connecticut's tale is much different in origin and presentation. The Melonheads descend from a, a colonial family in the Shelton Trumbull area, and they were banished for practicing witchcraft. The family retreated into the woods and began to inbreed, developing hydrocephalus. The family also resorted to cannibalism to make it through the harsh New England winters. Uh, and these days, you won't find Melonheads close to civilization. Uh, they prefer to stalk the old dirt roads with tall trees and occasionally take victims. Despite being vanished for witchcraft centuries ago, you have to wonder, what sort of rituals could they be doing out there in Fairfield County's woods? So, the various origins of Melonheads can provide a lot of ideas for your World of Darkness game, and I'd like to suggest a couple before we uh, uh, ask for suggestions, of course, from Chris and, uh, and from Rich. Uh, Wraith has always been a pretty disturbing game, so why not even make it more disturbing? For some grotesque body horror, you can make Melonheads a form of specter that enjoys terrorizing the mortal world, specifically targeting the fetters of other wraiths. If you want to treat the idea of Melonheads uh, a bit more seriously, you can make them the ghosts of deformed children. From colonial times up until Victorian era, deformed family members were the cause of shame, and they're often hidden away. 
These individuals could be socially stunted, and one can only imagine their actions in the Shadowlands. In Werewolf the Apocalypse, you can actually strip away some of the more grotesque elements and make Melonheads into a, uh, into actually the Hamid kinfolk of the Red Talon tribe. Uh, separated from human society, these kinfolk would be nearly feral, and their interactions with humans would be obviously strained. For Changeling the Lost, Melonheads are without a doubt hobgoblins. Uh, if the aforementioned Felt Mansion is located on top of a powerful trod, you can have an entire story investigating the structure, the limestone caverns, and the extra-dimensional hedge, as well as interacting with whatever stumbles out into the immortal realm. Of course, uh, your characters have to make a decision. These melonheads have been terrorizing the countryside for generations, so will they allow them con to continue or stop the hobgoblins and lose a potential entrance to the hedge? Promethean lets you present the saddest possibility for melonheads. As a throng of the created travel through Michigan's wilds, they are stalked by children in the woods. Finally confronting or perhaps capturing one of the melting heads, they learn the terrible truth. These children, all of them, suffer from deformity and disease. Saddest of all, hikers have been reporting about them for decades, but each time the police report is thrown aside as a hoax and the story relegated to tabloids. Whenever a melonhead tries to approach a hiker or passing driver, they're scared off, isolating this community of unfortunates. So how can a throng, themselves misunderstood by moral society, help these poor, suffering souls? So that's the story of melonheads. Uh, what do you guys think? Any other ideas? Keeping with the changeling, the lost route, um, you could go with a... You know, the... Um some of the myths behind the wizened has them being the uh, taken away by you know classic grey aliens. Uh, if you want to go with that kind of route, then maybe the metalheads are the discarded uh, mortal-born children of a fey lord. Um, so that would explain maybe some of their need to feed on babies and cannibalism because they're quite twisted in that way. Um, mm. And maybe then they're sort of like a uh, sort of like fetches in the sense that if they were to uh, get the taste for changing flesh, they would, you know, further kind of evolve and become more mad. Um, ooh, what else would I go with? I'm trying to think of something for Geist. Um, nothing's really popping into my head. I think you've covered most of them, right? Um, I need to think a bit. <laughs> I mean, the idea of them being just the ghosts of deformed children can work very well in Geist. Uh, it's definitely a crossover between Wraith and Geist right there. Yeah, I think I like the take you took with Promethean and the fact that they are just, you know, they are what they actually are and the fact that they, they act as a, a nice kind of like morality kind of hook for the Prometheans because obviously then they're both, they're, they're kind of a reflection of the same problem they suffer which is being mm -hmm. discarded and, you know, from normal human society. And even some of the abilities of Prometheans might even be enough to kind of uh, remove their their uh, ailments and you know, almost mm -hmm. cure them, which would be kind of true. kind of nice. It, it would act as a very cool milestone, really. I think you need to have them being, you know, it's somehow. Uh, and you brought this up uh, that the why why have they had this longevity? Why are they why are there still melon heads who look like? You know, giant-headed children. Why is that still going on? So you know, the, the idea that they've been manipulated with and messed with. I mean, one thing is that they're they're not really alive anymore. They're spirits. That's one way to go. Or the other one is that you know, whatever has 
been experimenting on them it has given them some form of extended life period, uh, whether it's a, a, a nuclear sort of thing, which I think could tie into some of the Promethean extra stuff that we did yeah. in, in a couple yeah. of the extra yeah. books, um, or you know potentially something uh, more even ghoulish, you know, where they've been kept alive by the blood of something else. Yeah. It might, might explain a little bit of their reddish tone as well. Uh, the other again, you can go, you know, kind of riffing off the same thing. Here's a failed progenitors experiment. Mm -hmm. Also fits with that idea. Um, yeah. Hey, Chris. Uh, any ideas for mage? Because there's that one idea that they were perhaps practicing witchcraft in the, that one family. Right. I couldn't really yeah. come up with anything myself. I was wondering if uh, you, since you're much more knowledgeable with Mage the Awakening. Mage the Awakening or Mage Ascension? I'd say with Mage Ascension. I've gone with the technocracy route. If we're going with something, I mean, if you really want to go with the grotesque kind of body horror element, um, if they're witchcraft and uh, magic around kind of any other uh, beings or spirits, uh, it, it's possibly the horrible thing that something, some horrible nightmare, would be literally born from their 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 minds and their heads. I mean, that's that's grotesque, but that's that's kind of one route you could go down with. So they're almost kind of like uh, a lifelong um, kind of uh, gestation for these entities. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to think of something else to mage. Um, there must be something more. Something about descendants of colonial era family. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, there's, there's, we've I mean, we've come up with enough ideas on on it. That's for sure. It's just I always want to try and squeeze out one more. But um, <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's something to leave for the uh, posthumous forum and uh, and come back to it at a later point. I'm I'm sure folks will have some great ideas. Hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Cool. Um. So so anything else? Uh, any other general ideas? Uh, Rich, do you have, do you have anything? No. I mean, the one thing I I do like is the. Idea idea that there isn't. I mean, you know, we, we, we've said this about the New World of Darkness, at least, that one of the things we really like about it is you can't slot everybody into a particular thing. So, you know, these guys are there, and they're doing what they're doing, and they might have come from any of these potential things. Um, the, the, the interesting is, what's their effect? What's, what, uh, I, I think you were starting to do a little, a little story arc on the, on the throng, which is, you know, the, that, that to me is kind of interesting. Is not... Why they're why they are what they are, but how is that affecting the players? And, and you know, is hmm. you talk about telling this this terrible human drama thing with them, which I think is, is really the fun part of it. Do we need you know? Do we need to actually slot them in as, as they were created by X, Y, or Z? So much as oh, this horrible situation. You know, I think that's that's where the the beauty of it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because I mean, that fits with the idea. Like, one of the things I, I I kind of need to do a bit more in my own games. Not like not every single uh, um, say in vampire. Not every every time your antagonists need to be vampires. Maybe the actual mm -hmm. story is the fact that you've got your players who are vampires, and this is really how do they right. relate? And what to what the hell are these horrible things? Bad, 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 very mortal. Yeah. Yep. All right. Cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. Cool. Uh, so I think that's it for the Secret Frequency segment. And with that, let's move on over to a Q&A with Rich Thomas. Da, 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 da. So 
So, Rich, uh, what's going on, man? What's up? Hey. Oh, well, you know, you talked to, when you're saying that the recent things that we're working on, I mean, that's just that's the tip of the iceberg for me. I'm juggling a lot of projects right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So here you are. You're in the gaming industry. Been here for quite some time. So why don't we talk about the origins? Talk about the sure. beginning. Every superhero has his origin story, right? Yep. And you're, of course, <laughs> Rage and Rich Thomas. So you insist. <laughs> and I'm sure there's we about... I worked with in the past who would agree with you, but... Are we about to, with the superhero thing, establish that Richard and, and uh, Eddie Webber, like Lex Luthor and Clark Kent, then, <laughs> as part of some super duo, constantly at war with each other, creating this wonderful world? Maybe. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that later, because i got a question yeah, on that. Yeah, that's one of the questions, isn't it? <laughs> um, so, so, Rich, how'd you get started with gaming? What's kind of your, your geek cred? I was really fascinated uh, when I was in, in, in junior high school or middle school, depending on what you want to call it now, uh, with, uh, with war, war gaming, board gaming, um, stuff that, uh, you know, the Avalon Hill games and uh, mm-hmm. things like that. And yet there was no one in my immediate area where, when I was growing up who was equally interested in any way. Uh, so it was more of a sort of, hey, oh, man, I got this great game about Alexander the Great and he's doing the Uh-huh. What are those little things? Well, those each one of those represents one of his armies. Uh-huh. They're little pieces of cardboard. Yeah, but they've got these points to tell you. Oh, never mind. So, <laughs> and, I, and I wound up going to, uh, to uh, what they would call Magnet High School at this point, uh, these days. And uh, when I got there, I discovered uh, that there was a, an actual club called the Strategy and Tactics Society that started as a board gaming club. When I got there... They had just discovered this new kind of game uh, and were anxiously awaiting, awaiting um, the second supplement for it, which was called Blackmore. And, and they, were, they were just a, a small group, about, about six or seven guys who were really into d and I mean, first edition, three brown little pamphlets, and Greyhawk uh, was all anybody had at that point. And... Uh, I sat in on one session and, and, and I never looked back. So it was it was amazing. And then and then like you know then Blackmore came out and I was like whoa this is so cool. Um, so that was that was really how I got started and that was um, you know that was seventy something seventy six seventy seven. So uh, that that's that's how I got into gaming as a as a enthusiast. And then uh, and then I guess you know. Uh, if you want me to leap forward, I can I can talk about how I I kind of got into the the gaming business. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Were, were you involved with anything before you came to uh, White Wolf Magazine? Uh, I mean, just I mean, most of my life uh, has is uh, through that whole period was was art. Um, I, I the, the second thing that I discovered in high school was that there was an amazing art department at the the high school I went to in Philadelphia, which was Central High School, and. Uh, they had just just the most dedicated art professor. Um, these are all high school students who were doing college level pieces. It was just amazing, hmm. and I wanted to be one of them, and uh, and I was uh, once I once I got into you know additional years there. Um, so that and going through art school was was my big thing. But I never stopped playing. I, I, in fact, I even went back to my high school uh, for the for after I graduated to uh, DM. My uh, my D and D world for for new guys who were coming on you know, for a couple of years after I graduated. So it was uh, it, those were those two poles the, the the art thing and the and the and the um, 
gaming thing were, were kind of simultaneous. But I never, I, I, it, it, just getting the, 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 the bachelor's and the master's degree in art was more than enough to keep me busy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wasn't looking for right. work in, mm-hmm. in that area. Um, but once, I, once I, I sort of got out of there, I started sending around my portfolio to different places, sending to Dragon Magazine, and, uh, and, I was, and I always read Dragon Magazine, and there was a, an, an ad in Dragon Magazine for illustrators for this new magazine, fanzine. I, I, it kind of had a feeling of both, couldn't quite tell, but they were looking for illustrators, and I, I did a, a quick illustration um, of a wolf killing a dragon because it was White Wolf Magazine. I thought, oh, yeah. They're obviously in co- competition with dragons, so I'll have a wolf kill a dragon. Nice. Um, and because uh, it was little dragon and the big wolf, uh, but <laughs> and then I kind of sat on it for for like a month because you know I was just like I don't know maybe I shouldn't send. I mean, I'm trying to get jobs in advertising, and and my my girlfriend at the time said, you know, no, you've got to do it. Okay, so I did, and I said it to Stuart Wick. And he's like, oh, this is so great. And could you draw, you know, and started giving me my first assignment. And uh, my first piece of art hit White Wolf Magazine. That, uh, and and its, tri- its circulation tripled. And that kept happening each issue that we put more and more art into it. And so Stu kept asking for more and more art. And I'm like, dude, this is, you know, I'm, I'm also doing all these other jobs and I'm trying to you know get work out of out of getting out of grad school and trying to get a job and you know so uh how about i how about i hire some artists and i'll art direct some stuff because i had a a fair number of uh classes that i I trained in as an art director and i was an assistant art director at an advertising agency uh, as well my uh one of my summer jobs so he was cool with that and so we started getting other artists involved with it and of course you know again the circulation just kept going up because it looked so much more professional at that point than uh, than just a fanzine that uh, that you know Stu had managed to put together. Great content uh, in terms of you know the writing and stuff. And uh, uh, but once uh, once I was able to pull in some some visuals, I think the whole thing kind of came together. Uh, and that went on you know for for a couple of years. We tried a bunch of different projects, and uh, I also wound up freelancing then for uh, for Lion Rampant, doing logo designs and some art for them. And when they got together with uh, with Stuart and White Wolf, and uh, and Mark and Stu became Mark Ryan Hagen and Stu became partners. Uh, the very first thing that they put out was uh, was this nutty game called Vampire, hmm. the Masquerade, and uh, and I was still you know still kind of I was I was you know freelance art directing and stuff, and uh, I got a call from Stu. He's like, um, Hey, you know that Vampire we put out in August? Yeah. Well, we're like a, we we had to reprint it twice. Yeah, I know it's it's awesome. Yeah, um, we're doing really good down here, man. Why don't you come down and, and art direct for the company, like we always talked about? Ooh, yeah, but <laughs> still, you know, I mean, as I had, I mean, I had I had a daughter and uh, and you know a house to sell and, and stuff like that. I was like, ah, dude, it's uh, and and I was working like seven different jobs at the time, so you know, go down to doing one job that was that was kind of it seemed a little tough. Uh, but he's like, no, no, no. I'm telling you, when we talked and you said how much you would need, like, yeah, we can do that now. Like, All right, <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. Moved down to Atlanta, and uh, uh, amazingly, um, you know, I guess we never looked back at that point. Uh, you know, because as soon as I landed, I mean, we were, they were they were knee deep in werewolf when I got there. <laughs> what do we do with this? Okay, let's go. <laughs> 
So yeah, no, it was a, it was amazing. All right, cool. So I guess this this uh, brings us to our next question very nicely. Um, what was art direction like in the early '90s when you when you first got there? And once you explain that, like, how is it kind of different nowadays? Well, when I first got there, um, Josh uh, Josh Timbrook, uh, Josh, Joshua Gabriel Timbrook, who has done so many wonderful pieces of art for for White Wolf, and especially in the early days, uh, was was art doing some, doing the art direction, and he was so glad that I <laughs> I came down mm-hmm. and and started actually doing art direction because he really wanted to illustrate. So he was basically. Um, desperately trying to illustrate whatever he could and then fill in with with you know other other illustrators that they would go to conventions and try to hook up with and stuff there wasn't really a system or or a way to do it that uh and and the aesthetic was it bounced around a lot so i think um what i was able to do is is to sort of bring that into a a focus of what what i was looking to to have the kind of visuals i was looking for i also wanted to break us out of just kind of hiring folks we knew or folks that we saw in other games and go completely on to uh, people that we, we saw in a particular time in comic books uh, that we, you know, we were all fans of various uh, artists and start reaching out to those guys and bringing them on board. Um, and what I kind of discovered, which was, was interesting, was that there were like-minded art directors in, in three other companies in the gaming industry. Um, you had uh, Jesper Mirfors over at uh, Wizards of the Coast, and Maria Cabardo at um, Mayfair, and uh, Jeff Laubenstein at Faza. And of course, Faza was doing some some phenomenal stuff uh, with with Shadowrun at that time. Mm-hmm. So we all kind of uh, got into this situation where we, we we realized we were all trying to do the same thing, which is bring in. Uh, more and and better and and different kinds of artwork and so we would just trade artists around it was it was actually an incredibly positive experience all the way around if i found an artist and i well this really wouldn't work for a vampire or werewolf but you know what you would be great on shadowrun i'd give him jeff's number and he'd give jeff a call and and start working there and, and different things like that so um that was that was kind of the thing, but I mean, we we kind of established the process of getting, you know, getting working with the developers to get the notes to get to the artists um, ahead of time, uh, finding the right time to do that in that wasn't too far out because a lot of times things change, but wasn't last minute, which was the way things were pretty much all the time at, at White Wolf at the time, and uh, and so yeah, that was that was kind of it, and then kind of just my whole my whole thing was you know. Is this particular artist and their style appropriate for the for the project we're working on? Because what we what I like to do uh, is let the artist create with as little um, of my uh, being a puppet master to them versus being a guide to what we're trying to get. You know, I want to hire someone because they have this particular style. Then I'll work with them on the kind of scene we want to have depicted in terms of what details should be in it, stuff like that. But I don't want to be saying. Uh, or being in the position of having to say, well, you know, really you need to improve the drawing of the arm here and things like that. I mean, we want their style to come through. Um, and in particular, as we were talking to guys who had started to, you know, establish themselves in careers, uh, I think that the kind of freedom we were able to offer versus uh, maybe some of the, uh, I don't want to call it nitpicking because everybody has their reasons for, you know, why they, they want a particular thing to look the way they do. But certainly, in my mind, the kind of micromanagement of the artist was uh, was something I wanted to try to avoid. 
and again, that, that that's a fine that's a fine line to walk too, because I've I, I've had artists who've just gone, no, really, I want you to tell me exactly what you want here. All right, then that's what we'll do. That's no problem. We can always get t- we can always tell you more <laughs> details. Don't worry. Right. Absolutely. So so that was that was basically what the I think the overall look was, and I think it was something that that people appreciated about White Wolf Art is that they didn't necessarily it wasn't just an illustration of the thing that was on the page next to it. You yeah. Know, there was something else going on there that was it was almost telling a visual story that in in a thematic way uh, because of the style and because of, of of what these artists were choosing to depict that was parallel to the information that was coming in and, and enhanced the information but wasn't necessarily a reference illustration, you know. Mm. Okay. Cool. So, uh, so exactly, what is it? What is it like nowadays? Like, uh, has it changed a lot? the The entire process of art direction, or is it still kind of the same overall? I'm trying to do it the same. I, I mean, you know, and, and and as the years went on, you know, my direct art direction became a lot, um, a lot less common, and most of the time, I was I was uh, uh, supervising. A staff of art directors and trying to get, you know get everybody to create and I wanted to have those guys have their freedom to art direct uh, in in a way that made sense to them because they're really you know everybody has their own strengths and weaknesses and you want to you want to push with the strengths um, so now as we've kind of come around to full circle where I, I am doing a lot of the art directing again uh, I still find that the idea that you're you're out there trying to find uh, high quality people. Uh, and give them more freedom than they're used to, still has a pretty valid um, uh, um, approach uh, to getting to getting good art. Um, now, I'm, but in, as opposed to back then when I was dealing with comic book people, now of course I'm dealing with uh, talking to artists who are making names for themselves in concept art and uh, and other things for computer games. So you know, mm. it's just what they're doing has changed, and, and strangely enough, I'm I've kind of come back around to to. Uh, I hope you know uh, successfully art direct again. Yeah, I was going to say, how does I mean, since obviously you now work with CCP, of course, and there's a, there's a hell of a lot of art coming out for the computer games. So, does that mean you also have quite a lot of extra people that you can now, you know, kind of network through and find pieces that you would not have imagined you could have grabbed before, or or maybe the the art. I'm just trying to get a feel because like artwork, of course, has changed a lot because you now have the prevalence of um, computer aided right art digital well. art, sure. Yeah, and so because like a, a friend of mine who used to be in my great gaming group, she's um, she's a digital artist for like what's she doing right now? I think she's done a few various things like UI design for various companies and so forth. Right. And so, uh, and the stuff she's drawn just for our gaming groups, like completely like wow and. It's it's just it's been interesting to see from like early vampire all the way up to like say Victorian Age Lost just how art has evolved and changed and it's um, yeah it's exciting so I'm sure like so what's it like working with then I guess what I'm saying is what's it like working with CCP and kind of like the art you have access through them or what kind of art do they, do you get through them? Well, I mean right now nothing. Um, right yeah. now, the 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 MMO, uh, whatever work is being done on the MMO, and you know, is, is, and it's one of those. I'm going to skirt around certain subjects as we talk. Yeah, so, sure. <laughs> uh, and I think uh, I think we went through this a little bit with the uh, 
the, the round table we did last month. Um, so the MMO is a completely self-contained entity. What's going on with White Wolf and, and, and uh, the projects that we're working on right now, mm. self-contained entities. The one thing I do have is I have the advantage of now I've gotten to know a whole lot of, uh, of concept artists for computer games from being involved with the uh, with, with both just being involved with CCP, but also being involved in that industry for uh, which which I was doing uh, uh, for about three years um, up until last year, up until V twenty, uh, mm. and so I I know I, I think I, I understand uh, these guys pretty well, and it's uh, it, it is it's very exciting um, to to see so much beautiful work that's out there and to try to, in the same way that it was the same way, you know, when I was trying to pull in comic book artists way back in the day, it's the same sort of thing. Oh, I just saw this amazing piece. Oh, I got to, who's that guy? I'm going to, I'm going to look him up. And, and it's so much easier to do that now. I mean, it's one of the things, uh, you know, Justin and I keep talking about when we talk about the open development process, uh, how amazing it is to be able to get immediate feedback from the fans on anything we post. I mean, God, when we started out, the only way we knew what people thought about stuff was were they buying it or not. Every once in a while, somebody would send us a letter. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. it, if we didn't go to conventions, we would we would never have heard anything from the fans directly. You know, so now to be able to say, oh, there's this really great guy on this. Uh, what, oh yeah, send me his website. Oh yeah, okay, just boom, boom. hey dude, you want to work on this thing? You know, boom, really amazing uh, immediacy of all that. And so uh, I think that's that's one of the things that's really changed uh, very much for the better. Uh, all the way around. Uh, so, but no, I can't. I can't actually access uh, anything that they're doing for the MMO for anything yeah. that we're doing uh, with these books. And I, I, I don't think we should either. I mean, no. there's an aesthetic and there's a, uh, a a way to do art for tabletop gaming for paper paper uh, paper electronic, you know, uh, mm. sort of sort of uh, products that I think is is the you need to provide a, a bit of a wider range of style and aesthetic um, so that you pull in more people's interest because not every, you know, no one can, you know, if we put up 10 artists, I guarantee you no one would agree who were the, the top three, yeah. uh, you know, because everybody's got their own taste and, and what, and what, and what hits you, what, what uh, gets you excited about something, um, you know, is always going to be different. Somebody um, wrote in about mummy, demanding that we make sure that John Cobb does art for Mummy. And John, if you remember his work from, from, from many years ago, Ooh, yeah. um, is Ooh, yeah. very, very twisted, very idiosyncratic, uh, and, and I consider very much an, art, an artist in the truest sense of the word, in that he has images and pieces of images and little squiggles that mean important things to him in his art um, that I have no clue what they mean. You know they're there and they're 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 strange, but they they show up time and time again through different pieces through the years, and so it's obvious that there's a there's an imagery that goes on that that's important to him. Um, but also a lot of people, I mean, he's one of the ones that people complain about as well because it doesn't look like anything. It's all weird, and and you know his his uh, vampire's fingers, you know, are 18 inches long, and it's all uh, you know that one had a wang, you know, <laughs> and uh, uh, and yet. Here's this guy who absolutely says that the piece of, that John Cobb did in one of the first or the second edition mummies encapsulated that game for him and made him love it. So, you know, uh, when you're doing computer games, you're doing uh, uh, you know, anything where you're trying to present a singular world 
look. I mean, you know, the, the having worked with Blizzard on on the World of Warcraft uh, tabletop, this was something we ran into with them as well. Is you know they've got to look any. Any you know any uh, any game that has created a setting in a world has a very strong look, and you can't just have guys doing five different styles of art yeah. that illustrates that look, you know, because they won't they're not getting that look anymore. They're doing something else, so it's very very different. I think keeping them in two separate places is the is the smartest thing we could possibly do. I was going to say contrast with that then, because as you say, you um, you're drawing quite a lot of different artists for uh, a particular project. How does that uh, contrast say for Mage: The Awakening? Because that's yeah, you know, well, that was an experiment. Kind of blue through and through, yeah. That'd be I mean, interesting. That... How did that contrast then, or, or what did you learn in, from that, as you say, experiment? Uh, I think I, I, uh, I mean, to, to be very honest, I, I don't think that I would ever do a single artist on a book that size again. Certainly not a core rule book. Mm. Uh, I think a core has to speak to a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. And you can have a very – I mean, like I said, you, you can have an appropriate kind of artwork that is, uh, that is right for it. But I think you need – uh, within that appropriateness, I think you have to keep it a little bit open, a little bit wider so that um, people can access it from a lot of, a lot of different uh, uh, comfort levels and, and, you know, oh, this is the kind of thing that really gets me excited. Okay, cool. Um, Whereas I still think that, that having a single artist on a, an individual project that, that's a smaller or more tightly themed or focused uh, still is a really strong and, and cool way to go. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, I absolutely loved probably 90% of the pieces that Mike Kaluta did for the Mage, uh, Mage the Awakening book. Just, just, I just loved. I mean, and, and yeah. the, de the decorative elements that all tie together. Uh, with the with the visuals and stuff like that, yeah. I just absolutely love it. But I know that there's a lot of people who were completely flipped out at <laughs> at, at some of the depictions and and some of his stylistic choices. And you know everything to calling this who's this hack you got in here? Was he somebody's relative? No, he's a man who's done forty years of yeah legendary work in 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 the comic book industry, uh, but. They weren't into pen and ink drawings, or they weren't into his his particular style. So it went flat, and so we lost them from real engagement with Mage, which is very very unfortunate. Uh, and that's I think, um, and that, that's why I'm saying I wouldn't do that on a core book again. Because I actually I really like that book because it, because I, of all the art, all the way through it by right, one and, 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 and that very made, much the feeling of it. Maybe almost like um. It was a tome of yeah. It's it's exactly. written by one person, and I love that. That's a really strong thing. That was the feel that I was going for with the whole, you know, the layout and the design of it as well, is to kind of give this feeling that this was a, you know, boom, look at this, and it's all consistent, almost a, you know, as if someone had sat down and and tried to do the secret history of the world, you know. But not everyone loved it. <sighs> uh, Rich, I think you've been kind of hinting at this, but Beckett asked, kind of what you look for in White Wolf art. Right. And uh, what what sort of pieces speak to you? Well, I think there's two there's two ways to look at that. Uh, one is, what am I looking at as an art director or a creative director for White Wolf's products, and then what pieces speak to me personally? So I think that knowing that you've got to look at the the the, the larger picture, and this is where again this sort of appropriateness that I I kind of drummed into my my art directors and designers over the years. Um, where that comes in really important because, 
again, there are certainly artists that I absolutely love, and I would love to see illustrate certain of our projects, and I just know that, that they would not be right for it. Um, other, other times, you get an artist that you really love, and you get a project that just they fit like a glove to, and that's one of the greatest art direction moments ever because you get to work with somebody you've always admired, and then, hey, you want to do this thing? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so... You know when I'm when I'm looking at uh, for, for what I'm looking at for White Wolf things, um, you know the, obviously looking at technical proficiency, we're looking at the ability to to do something um, uh, on a technical level that 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 has skill and and, and proficiency and beauty to it, um, and then at the same time, what is it expressing? Sometimes it's expressing a story, sometimes it's expressing a mood, but it has to express something. If it's just a you know a shot. It, it, you know, again, it, it doesn't it doesn't get get us going. That's one of the things we used to say to the illustrators who come up with their portfolios at conventions. And most of the the work that we saw, um, other than the furry porn, was single character, no background. Look, I can draw this this guy. Maybe it was somebody from their from their camp, you know, their their various games that they were playing. Maybe just uh, you know they were inspired by uh, somebody they they had read about, or it was just the very first thing they did, that they were doing was they were doing just these characters. And we would always say, "So what? What's the story behind this? This well, you know." And they would give, they would have this story. None of it was in the art, and so it was like, "Well, get that in there." You know, establish something about this person. Are you know? Well, you know, they they've had this tragic life. Well, they're just kind of staring at us blankly. They're not. They don't feel tragic. Can you, how can you make them feel tragic? Uh, so that's you know that's that's one of the big big things that um, we look for when we're, we're putting this stuff together is is telling that story, establishing some kind of mood. Uh, if you can tell a story and establish mood and and you know and really grab you and be technically proficient, then uh, then you you know. You're one of our best guys, and we'll probably give you far too much work and burn you out. But you know, <laughs> so that 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 that's basically you know the on on the the art direction professional, and that's what what we try to go for. Um, mm -hmm. Like for me, I mean, I'm I'm pretty eclectic visually, so there's there's a lot of different ways that somebody I'll look at a piece and go, oh, that is amazing. But uh, you know, I was always a, a gigantic fan of uh, the Brom. Um, when he was working for, I guess he was, I guess he started working for TSR and then he started working for, uh, when, uh, when, uh, when Watsi bought them, he, he stayed along or he got involved with them again or something, I forget. Uh, uh, so I was a fan of his work, but, um, the ability to actually then work with him on, I think it was the, the, uh, Wraith Atlanta cover, I think was the first thing he did for us. Uh, that was just, that was just an amazing moment, uh, so, you know, as an example of artist and material and being able to bring them together, uh, that, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Didn't, uh, didn't Brom do the splat portraits in Vampire of the Requiem? Is that correct? No, I don't think he did, but I'm, 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 I will dig it up. All right, I'll see if I can beat you there. Yeah. Well, actually, no, you know what? It sure is looking. I believe you could be correct, my friend. Yep, yep. Very good. Nice. Nice, and we'll uh, we'll put links to a lot of the images that we talk about in the uh, in the show notes of this episode. I, I think they'll really help enhance exactly right. what we're talking about. Yeah, well, yeah, it tends to be a lot of referencing to to visuals when I'm talking about this stuff. So, so Rich, yes, 
recently we've had a lot of new technology coming out, like tablets and iPhones. So Absolutely. Beckett wanted to know how how that's really affected the graphic development or art direction or really just like PDFs in general that White Wolf's been using so much lately. I think you know the first thing that we that we we needed to do is we needed to move to uh, accessibility on electronic media and and the PDF format was the most accessible way for us to go at that. Um, we were already creating PDFs to send uh, to the to traditional printers to to actually do their files from. So uh, working from PDFs made a lot of sense. Um, as we've been seeing with some of our project, recent ones, particularly as I think the iPad 2, as it as it um, crunches its numbers, uh, doesn't necessarily always play well with hmm. straight up PDF um, code, I guess. Uh, and so we're going to need to continue to evolve what we're doing there as well. I don't think we've scratch the surface of what could be done with games and tablets. Uh, I, I think I think there's some people there who are taking some stabs and trying some things, but uh, I really like to see much more. I, I, and I, I, I hesitate to call it this because it brings up a whole kettle of fish, but I, I, I think the idea of Gamebook as app has a lot of a lot of, uh, of importance to it right now, and uh, and I, I would I, I really am very interested in the next couple of years seeing what we can do to move more in that general direction um, and, and really start taking advantage of some of the amazing things that tablets and, and the mm. iPhone can do um, you know as you're as you're sitting around the table or you know even as you're just relaxing and enjoying the game and reading about it and being immersed in that in, the, in that environment I think there's just so much more that can be done um, but it's not part of traditional traditionally how you make a book so it's something that has to be shifted to evolve to and i think it's why a lot of uh, a lot of traditional R uh, paper rpg creators still haven't jumped that far into it either they're they're kind of fine-tuning how to make really nice pdfs right now yeah uh, and i know we're, we're doing the same thing yeah yeah because like with the pdfs i mean pdf is essentially it's still just you know is still a, a digital replication of the of the traditional oh, page. Book format yeah yeah, yeah. the page uh, and obviously uh, I mean, in a few more, uh, in more recent uh, products that have been put out, you have like hyperlinks in there, and mm -hmm. just to make navigation or to go to external web pages, because of course, hopefully someone is looking at this on their computer, and that's that's really great. But I think, yeah, the idea of the the movement away from it, as you said, the idea of of a game book as an app is a is a cool kind of idea there. You know, we we talk a lot about, it, and the, and obviously the reason why you know uh, we. Uh, moved away from traditional uh, paper RPG publishing is because the the, the market was becoming very uh, very unstable and, and was and was lessening. But looking at what was traditional there and looking at the incredible changes on all levels of publishing that have that have occurred just I mean even in the in the past two years never mind the last five years uh, the last ten years. Um, what it means to publish really has really has changed, and and um, I feel good that you know we were an early adopter on trying to move into more electronic mm. uh, levels of publishing, even though I know that that hurt a lot of people who really wanted to us to continue until oh well, you know forever doing the the, the classic 
getting books made and getting the books into stores, getting the books on Amazon uh, so they could buy them the way they always have, that it, it, it wasn't sustainable. And I think a lot of companies have, have found that. Um, yeah. now, now we do things like with the Kickstarters where we can do a, a, a very limited run of a deluxe book and make sure that people still get the big you know, booky book book that they love so much and I love so much. I totally, I totally understand where they're coming from. Um, in fact, I was just talking to Rich Dansky last night. He happened to be in my neck of the woods and we had dinner talking about I still, while I do, because I, I do so much reading of PDFs and books that, that I'm, I'm looking at on a professional level, I still would rather have a book book in my hand that I could turn the pages of when I want to relax and enjoy myself. You know, I think mm. a lot of people still have that, have that, you know, oh, here's my book. Ah, oh. you know, because I mean, that was, that was what we, we, we grew up on. Um, but if we want to have any kind of growth in this industry at all, it, it, we've got to appeal to people in the manner in which they're getting information. Um, and so much more of our information comes through, you know, uh, any, anything you want to have connected to the internet that, um, <sighs> We yeah, just, you know, we just have to have to look at that and say, you know, I mean, when when I started at White Wolf, we didn't have email. <laughs> wow, there was yeah. not there was yes. not email wow. then. <laughs> you know, so um, you know, we <laughs> we have moved forward in so many different ways, even in that time period. That uh, that yeah, so I I just think there's so much so much more that can be done with with how we present games, how people absorb them and get immersed in them, and uh, I mean, I'm just just think of of how interesting some of our some of our old books would have been if we had just included uh, uh, mood music while you're playing. Well, so you know you're sitting there and you're watching. You press the button. And yeah. Some music while you know if uh, if Justin's you know obviously we couldn't have afforded probably all the ASCAP rights, but if you know you could have if Justin could have done a playlist for each book for for Masquerade in, the, in those last couple of years, how cool that would have been. You know. So then I, I mean. Yeah, I can imagine like the idea, the the idea to have like more and more embedded media in these things would be just great. I mean, I think I've read somewhere the idea of even having you have a you have the rules as they're laid out, as they're they're written, but then also kind of a, some form of of I don't know, kind of embedded Java app that animates the whole process, mm -hmm. so you can right. see it in a tangible way that makes sense, and that would be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Or so, even yeah. even having like a, a dice app that's built in, or yeah, that's absolutely kind of craziness. Yeah, and that's something I've been. I mean, I've been looking at that for the last two years. I just haven't uh, haven't been able to to pull that one together. But absolutely. I mean, yeah, the one thing I would really love to see is um, is because I mean, the, uh, a game which I've seen a really really nice app done for. Uh, so Warhammer, what is it? Third edition roleplay by Fantasy Flight. It's a very component-heavy game because they're right. very good at making components, but they have an excellent uh, iPhone app to do mm. all your character management, and it takes what is um, a, a jumble of pieces in front of you and a sheet and things to like connect together right. and puts it right in your hand. And so, that's, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, and it would be great to see. Yeah, be, I would love to see something like that for like Vampire or something because even even for a player, it's great. But as a right. as a GM or as a sorry as a storyteller, it'd be amazing because you could literally flick through all your NPCs and they're just there. And yeah. if you could then attach a picture, because um, I think it was on the latest uh, Darkling, we were talking about using 
pictures to help visualize characters. And if you could just, you know, you right. could grab a picture from the web and just go, that's, that's the face of this NPC, and you could share it to everyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> okay. I, 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 that, you're, you're, definitely, you're definitely going down the exact same path I'm talking about, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm almost this close to, like, f trying to work out some time to just sit down with Android and write something some point but uh i do enough programming for my day job <laughs> and that's one of the real one of the real problems with it is you know how much how how much effort can can folks who who do that sort of thing do to jump in on something you know uh as a hobby when they're doing it for you know for their job yeah well the programming i for me it'd be learning an entire new language i program in archaic languages <laughs> <laughs> I program in languages that make normal, modern, computer-like people just cringe. So that's what you get from my line of work. Anyway, anyway. Um, yeah, so is that everything, Mike, on, on iPhone and tablets and transmedia? I guess that's, the, that's the, the buzzword for this type of stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. Um, sounds like good stuff. Sounds like a good tie-in, which brings us to the next question. So Werewolf had, you know, collectible card game, temporary tattoos, Mage had a cool... A tarot deck. Changeling had cantrip cards. Vampire had a wrestler. So, <laughs> yeah. what tie-in uh, for the World of Darkness do you think was like best and most effective for the brand, Rich? Ah, uh, I don't know. Um, you know, the weird thing about that was uh, uh, we never really had direct relationships that could be could actually be you know pointed at. Uh, um, certainly, the Mage Tarot was was just it was it was another product. I mean, we just saw it as another product, and it was just something we really wanted to do, and we thought it was it was it was right and appropriate to do for it. Any any of the, you know the Werewolf Wild West poker deck and things like that. I mean, those were just those were just things, things mm -hmm. like the like the the wrestler and stuff like that. I mean, um, I think that those sort of mentions that get out into the mass media don't do so much to draw like i don't think we got a vampire player and and if anybody out there can contradict me that would be awesome i don't think we got somebody playing vampire because they went and they saw oh this is this wrestler and he's pretty cool um and somebody said no wait that's the name of one of the clans what I don't. I don't mm -hmm. necessarily think that we got something like that but what i think it did do was it, it, it for our fans it was just one more thing that was cool about about uh, the thing that they were that they loved that we were doing you know um so those those sorts of things i think uh, uh work on that level versus you know what's something that like you know could really be woo effective um it's more of a more of a zeitgeist sort of thing yeah i mean probably if we looked at anything kidred the embraced theoretically should have done the best thing for us Mm. You know, I mean, that would that reached millions of people, um, and I still have people coming in to talk about, you know, oh yeah, and I remember seeing that, that that one show. What was that called again? You know, but they remember it was about vampires, and if they know anything about us, they know it was connected to us. But, um, you know, so I think uh, uh, probably from what I've heard. Um, the, the the two vampire computer games actually, oh definitely yeah. definitely yeah. fed yeah. into people getting involved with the RPGs the the paper RPGs. Actually, I, I, yeah, I think I'm one of those. 
because I picked up uh, Redemption way back in the day. Now, Bloodlines has been, I mean, and, and there are there are guys who are working on the on the MMO project who are that that was their introduction to White Wolf products, and then they got involved with the world and the and the uh, um, the paper RPGs through that. You know, uh, and, uh, you know, Vampire the Eternal Struggle, another one which um, reached to a whole different kind of person who then, be, you know, where the, a lot of a lot of Vitas players, that's what they do. They're not interested in, in the in the tabletop gaming, but there's others who are. You know? Yeah, uh, similarly, I mean, a friend of mine. I was going to say yeah. a friend of mine got into um, into uh, Vampire through the computer games. Right. So to put it to, to 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 establish like how much he's into it, he now also has on his shoulder he has a. The classic uh, Vampire the Masquerade ink symbol emblazoned on right. his skin for for eternity because that's for how much eternity. he was drawn into it. So and that was, um, the, the, yeah, that that one always kills me. That the because uh, I've, I've over the years we've gotten plenty of photos of people's tattoos and and things that yeah. were inspired. And anytime it's one of it's you know it's one of the symbols that that I designed, which was you know most of the clan symbols and tribe symbols and all, all that stuff. Uh, it's just a weird experience to see the thing you came up with burned into someone's skin. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, well, I, uh, I can only I can only be flattered. You know which souls you, you owe to you at the end of days. Then you go, mine, mine, mine. Darkness, darkness come to me. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Um, no, I mean, you know, I mean, we we. Got nibbled at, I guess, is the way it goes on in Hollywood. I mean, I would have loved to have uh, seen a, a movie. Um, mm. I think probably I would have, I would more love to see, a, you know, movies now, uh, where where you could actually do justice to the world. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think that was that was probably the only thing we 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 aspire. I mean, we got a TV show for crying out loud. I mean, I'm not yeah, talking about yeah. the quality of it, but we got one. <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah, I would have enjoyed a movie. I think and. I mean, it wouldn't be crazy. In my mind, it wouldn't be crazy to see something like a TV series again if that was ever possible. Because I mean, what they're still talking about a World of Warcraft film, aren't they? And you know, you right. see how how computer how computer games are transitioning into Absolutely. into just general media. So, if if anything, it's almost like like society's kind of gone. Oh, this is a geeky thing. Let's have it as a film or TV series, and right. yeah, run with. It. I mean, is it? I'd rather see. I would love to see that happen because reading the news, that they're almost thinking about. Was it Lionsgate thinking about rebooting uh, Twilight after the last film comes out? <laughs> I it think, just makes me. I think that was why. an internet rumor. Yeah, I hope it is. That would be just madness. But um, yeah, it'd be cool to see what happens. Obviously, after the MMO hits, because it's going to be an entire new right. generation. I hope that's just going to be. That, that has always been the plan. Yep. Awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. So we're starting to starting to run out of time here, and uh, I definitely want to talk about Wraith a bit because uh, this is going to be the last episode of season three of Dark Days Radio, and of course we always end with a Wraith episode. Uh, and uh, thank you very much to Vergas for giving us quite a few very good Wraith questions yes. to pass along to Rich. So, so first question from Vergas is uh, much of the art in Wraith always seemed uh, to be much more surreal than other game lines and uh, was that intentional and kind of where was your head with that well i think you know i mean again consider the consider the the world we were depicting right um it was very clear from the first discussions with the writers that this was 
a mirror universe that went along with uh, with, with our, what we would call our real world, you know, where the vampires hung out. Um, and so how do you depict the world of death? Um, and even uh, the book, uh, was it Face, Face of Death or Faces of Death, which was – whichever one was the book that we did uh, um, that came out, the art book that came out with Wraith or around the time, mm-hmm. same time yep. that Wraith came out. Uh, going into that and making sure that that had an otherworldly quality to it was very important. Um, so, yeah, it was absolutely intentional. The artists we hired for that, of course, you know, were the guys that we thought could, could bring that sort of stuff off. And uh, and you guys mentioned it uh, right afterwards, two of those guys, Drew Tucker and John Cobb, who uh, who were absolutely uh, essential to creating that kind of uh, uh, surrealness to it or, or, you know, kind of disturbing uh, art quality to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, I went through some Wraith books just before, and I noticed that from the ones that I had, Drew Tucker actually didn't do all that much, which I was kind of surprised by. The, the few pieces that he did do definitely stand out. Right. And uh, speaking of surreal art, uh, definitely definitely Drew Tucker does that, and John Cobb's stuff is always just really weird. Um, so, so really, they have very different styles, and... Um, you might think they're almost conflicting. So how would you handle that uh, as an art director or, or during production of a book? I think you try to put them on, on in areas where that particular style is the way you want to, you want to depict what you're, what you're depicting. I mean, you can see like with John's work that regular scenes weren't necessarily the, 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 the coolest place to put his stuff, although he did a lot of very cool ones. But he could also his work could also give it a, a almost a graphic feel, you know. You could take his work and play with it and and create graphics based on what he was creating, which uh, kind of so so his work would kind of bridge certain levels of the visuals that also tied into the arcanoi symbols and things like that, you know, and the borders and things. And then, um, you know, when you have a more of a painterly uh, sort of style, then you know you kind of you've drawn the one line there now. All the artists that are between those two styles, you want to you want to create a, a continuity between, let's say, we'll just use the two examples, Drew and John, and have artists that who fall within that range. So that there's not a huge gap. There's very you know very appropriate and very different uh, uh, upticks all the way along that, uh, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Uh, so also commenting on the uh, on the art of Wraith. Uh, about a year ago, we had Sam Chupp on the show, uh-huh. and he was talking about, uh, he called the, the cover of Wraith the Mask of Charon, yep. and I probably should have asked him about it like right then and there, but I didn't. <laughs> so now we're asking you, Rich, uh, is, is the cover actually supposed to represent more than just some chains and a lock? Well, it's interesting because I think, there's two, two things going on there, and I can't, obviously I can't speak for what Sam what Sam is remembering, but actually the that book that I was just mentioning, the uh, the art book that came out with Wraith, I'm trying to see if it, I have that on my shelf. And I'm wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, because it has to run in sideways. The Face of Death, yes, the the cover of the Face of Death is the Mask of Charon. Oh, so, okay. Now what I believe went on because what happened with with the original Wraith cover was we got the the initial piece. This was all a. Uh, 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 a sculpture created by Henry Higginbotham, who, mm-hmm. had, who years later, or you know, several years later, would go on to do all the uh, the covers for the uh, um, Dungeons & Dragons 3rd editions. The Player's Guide, the Dungeon Master's Guide, all that. The sculptural uh, pieces that they used for those covers. So, we did it first. 
Henry created this thing, and it was – I don't remember if it incorporated some of the Mask of Charon or not. My memory of it was that it didn't, but it's possible. But it – we looked at it. We looked at it. We put the logo on top of it. We looked at it. We said, this is just – it doesn't – just it isn't working. And uh, and Mark actually was the one who said, you know what? We just – we need to we need to have some more chains on this. Okay. And so – Henry sent me a thing, and I was like, I was looking at it, and and even without talking to the other guys, I said, you know what, Henry, go crazy on the chains, go absolutely nuts on the chains. It's a very strong metaphor in the in the in the the, the game, you know, the, the game world itself. Just go nuts on it, and so that's what he eventually he, he eventually came up with, uh, you know, that we used. So it's possible under those chains are is is some of the mask of Charon. Uh, so I don't want to contradict Sam there, okay, uh, but. Uh, but it, it it went from the thing that was there, and the chains were kind of an a, kind of an, an added motif to the chains are the motif, and get mm. that lock in there because the lock was like off to one side and stuff, and then you, you know yeah you centered it yeah and uh, and the middle of the lock actually glowed in the dark along with the actual wraith title yep uh, which is definitely pretty cool uh, was that was that your idea or oh, yeah. someone else oh yeah I'm, it's, it's, any of those gimmicks that were on the original covers entirely my fault. Um, uh, I was, I was. It all started, it, you know. It started with Werewolf. Um, we'd been trying to figure out how we want to do the cover for Werewolf. How are we going to do this thing? And how do we get the metaphor of Werewolf across? That you know, because uh, otherwise they're just you know they're just the were you know long Chinese werewolves or werewolves of uh, London. But we were talking about Warriors of Gaia. We were talking about the doomed, uh, magnificent, epic, uh, storied heroes, if you will, or at least antiheroes. And how do you get that feeling that there's something else besides just the thing? And I was <laughs> at a comic book store with Stu Wick, and it was just when they started doing funky covers on comics, and somebody had done a slash through the front cover of an X-Men because Wolverine was on the other side. <laughs> and, and they did a die cut, you know, snicked. And I, and I looked at it, I was looking at it, I was like, hey, Stu, what if we slash through the front cover of uh, Werewolf? Can we do that? I think it could be really cool, and, I, and, and then, and then we, as we talked about it, we said, this is actually expressing what we're trying to express with this thing. So once we did that one, um, then it was like, well, what can we do for Major? We wanted to do a hologram tarot card, uh, but the hologram technology had only was only just getting started. So that's why we knew about it, and we we could there wasn't really both the time they had to send it off to labs and get things. We, to, we were actually, I think we had to get a sculpture done of of the of the Dante character and stuff, and we just mm. we couldn't do it. And then once we actually looked at the price of of what it would cost to do that thing, it was, uh, but we want to do a tarot card. Yeah, we love that. Um, well, let's go with some you know some foil. Okay, yeah, we haven't done that foil embossed. That'd be really cool. So then we get to Wraith, and it's like, well, we're, you know, we were playing up this whole thing. What are you afraid of in the dark? Don't run home to mama. I mean, all that sort of stuff. Well. I remembered when I was a kid, I painted glow-in-the-dark stars and things in my, my room. Um, also, a couple of crosses just to keep the vampires away. <laughs> and I was like, hey, if in the dark, you know, scary things, you got you to gotta have some sort of... So we did the glow-in-the-dark thing for that. And then, um, and then Changeling, I think, uh, you know, we did the... Uh, actually, that, how that whole stained glass sculpture was made and then photographed. Oh, Really? And it was full color, of course, throughout the book. So that was our big woohoo! Look at this. Yeah, uh, yeah. And the uh, and the spine art on the right, side. Right, and then of the, the, the continuing yeah. spine thing that we never finished, which I always felt bad about. But I mean, we would have to have done another fifty books, I think. 
<laughs> to get the whole, it was a long piece. It was a really long piece. Um, so, Rich, beyond just like the art and production, what kind of influence did you have on Wraith? Uh, uh, even if it's just like lunchtime discussions and that kind of stuff, like what do you really remember from the development? We, we were very much, you know, a game studio at that point, and and people were mostly involved on their own on their own phase of the project, um, but because we discovered that it really worked out better if everybody got together ahead of time and, and while things were being worked on, we actually discussed what was going on and things with it. Uh, I was, you know, I, I, I won't make any claims for having made, you know, any substantive contribution to the writing of it. Um, but, you know, we did discuss things and talk about where things were and, and you know, is this going the right way? And that, that kind of, there, there was definitely a sweet spot at, the, at, at White Wolf where, that work that process worked really well to get a whole bunch of people to talk about it together. We got bigger and bigger. That it, it, I think it, it kind of got unwieldy and a little broken down. And uh, but uh, during the time that Wraith was being made, um, you know, it was it was very much uh, Mark and Sam uh, coming up with a lot of the ideas. They have Josh sitting there doing sketches, um, and I'd pop in to find out how things were going with it and where things were. And of course. I, because we had to get art ahead of time and like with the cover, we had to get the cover way ahead of time. As they would come up with their newest ideas, they'd throw them past us. A lot of walks in graveyards. Um, <laughs> there, was a, there was a graveyard down the street that uh, they got a lot of inspiration for. And every once in a while, they'd be, hey, come on, walk in the graveyard with us. We'll tell you what's going on. Okay, cool. Um, so, and it was, it, was, it was good that way. It was a nice, um, you know, uh, had, had the involvement you could, you could if you were really into a project, you could, you know, be more and more involved with it because uh, they were always glad to have uh, somebody sitting down and talking with them. And, uh, you know, vice versa, um, we used to talk a lot about then how the visuals would come together for those things. So, mm, that, uh, I think, you know, so, I mean, in terms of influence on Wraith, it would be, you know, the fact that, the, you know, how the how the visuals kind of work together with what the, what the, the writers had come up with. You know the Arcanoi symbols obviously were a, a big a big part of that. Stuff, good stuff. Yep. Uh, so now we're going to move on to uh, much uh, broader Q and A segment with a lot of uh, listener questions. And uh, and Rich, the first one uh, comes from this this fellow uh, Lost underscore Heretic. Some kind of strange weirdo uh, lurks the, <laughs> the airwaves. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so he asks uh, if Eddie Webb is Mr. White Wolf. Uh, does that make Rich Mrs. White Wolf? <laughs> well, to begin with, I'm not 100% sure Eddie's Mr. White Wolf. Uh, you know, Eddie's really, I mean, he's, he's I'm, I'm glad, you, Eddie, I'm, I would be glad of anybody thinking of Eddie that way because Eddie did a amazing job, um, particularly when a lot of us were trying to find our way with how we were inner, uh, inner, inner working with the MMO and things like that. Uh, Eddie, Eddie really took the torch and held it high. Uh, for for several years, uh, almost you know, I mean, I, I don't want to say single handedly, but certainly, uh, he was a an amazing, you know, representative or, or face for White Wolf for that time because he's a great guy and he's incredibly nice, uh, but he's also very very dedicated to the the best quality White Wolf products we could possibly make. So he was he was, he was just absolutely great to work with, and uh, and still is great to work with. I still talk to Eddie once a week. As uh, anybody who should know that we. Try to post our Monday lunch meeting notes every week, so you can find out what's going on with White Wolf and me and Eddie. Yeah. Um, so that's that. That's my but. But I'm not 100 percent sure he's Mr. White Wolf. Uh, 
And if he is Mr. White Wolf, then I'm certainly not Mrs. White Wolf. Uh, our relationship is somewhat different than that. I might be Mr. White Wolf's uh, uh, uncle who, uh, who comes around and, and, and maybe stays a little too long on his couch. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Sounds good. I remember I hired Eddie, so I, mean, <laughs> I think he's right. great. All right, good stuff. Um, Beckett asks, uh, why is there such a deficiency in zombie apocalypses at White Wolf? Um, you know, uh, we, we, we touched on zombies a fair bit in Hunter the Reckoning. I mean, there was, there was a fair bit of zombie stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. And then in re- recent years, as, as, we, as we turned into a zombie apocalypse country, um, it's also around mm-hmm. the same time that we were limiting the sort of things that we're that we've been that we've been publishing. So I just think we haven't found. I mean, we haven't found a, a zombie thing that that has called out to us particularly. We have tossed a zombie, you know, a new zombie game for the New World of Darkness out probably every year that we've talked about it uh, okay. since since back in I want to say. I want to say, yes, at one point, I believe there was a matching Hunter, for Hunter the Lost, there was a Hunter zombie concept that was, that was playing, we were playing around with, like, kind of putting out two games that would, that would fight off each other. Um, okay. But then, the, the, but then, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Hunter, not Hunter the Lost, it's changing the Lost, Hunter the <laughs> yeah, Vigil. Yeah. Hunter the Vigil. That's pretty interesting, because, um, because, Mike Lee has said that uh, originally Demon the Fallen was a supplement for, for Hunt of the Reckoning uh, and it just kind of expanded into its own game line, which is pretty interesting uh, that you guys were kind of thinking of doing the same thing with Hunt of the Vigil. Yep. Yeah, I mean, because that's really what happens is, you know, ideas are, are, are thrown around and, and played around with, and, uh, and sometimes they're, they're um, somebody will come out of left field with an idea that you just go, whoa, yes, 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 that's, that's what we need. Um, Changing the Lost was one of those. I I I love Ethan Skemp and 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 I've been a big supporter of, of his work and I love what he does and also I play in a couple of his D and D games so you know uh, I, okay, I, I cool the way he thinks but um I had never read his passion more than his pitch for Changing the Lost. It was an amazing pitch and uh, and with that it was just like any other ideas we might have had for it. There was a couple, I think, some uh, a couple other people had some changing changing ideas that we kind of incorporated in because they fit so well with the, the main thrust of what Ethan was trying to do. And, and we just had the same experience for the uh, the game we're looking at for uh, 2013. Um, when I was getting pitched for it, I, st- I started getting the same. Wow, that is that is such a great way to look at this particular supernatural this is really really going to yeah yeah i can see how this is going to be cool and, and when you when when you can get people excited about it that way it's it's always a great sign so um other times you know you you people pitch stuff and it's like yeah this is okay this is kind of good uh and and then something else pops up and you go, okay let's let's go in that direction i think that's what happened with vigil is the whole dual zombie thing kind of got winnowed away to be much more of a focus on how could we make it work so that if you were a Hunter the Reckoning fan, if you were a Hunter's Hunted fan, if you were a Call of Cthulhu fan, if you were a Scooby-Doo fan, all being Hunters, how could mm. we really stretch the toolbox concept so that, like with Vigil, you could play any of those, 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 those tropes um, using Vigil? And, and so we kind of 
rather than worrying about what they were going to be fighting in a whole other game, let's really, really narrow and, and, and focus in on, and, and as Mike Tinney would say, drill down on um, the uh, what it is to be a hunter in the world of darkness. Good stuff. So, so I heard that correctly. You said new game in 2013. <laughs> yeah. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Outstanding. Outstanding. You hear it here first, folks. New game, New World of Darkness, 2013. Yeah, yeah we've got Mummy this this year, and then you know we're already uh, putting together what we're doing for next year. Awesome. Sounds really good. So uh, we just mentioned uh, uh, Demon and Hunter. Uh, are there any new plans for new products with that? Uh, this was asked by Echo Doken. Uh, you know, a lot of people are pretty excited with Seawad coming back. Right. Uh, wondering if their game line is gonna get any love. Uh, I am. I am. I don't have any plans um, for them specifically right now, but I'm always open to hearing ideas um, for for those sorts of things. Um, I I don't really think Reckoning really needs new products in terms of being a complete and total you know game line that that rolls along mm. um there might be some you know corners of that of that particular part of the setting that we could we could you know look into a little bit more i think demon probably you know there's probably a, a good couple of uh additional books that we could have done back in the day even and and you know with with the uh with gehenna and, and apocalypse and everything occurring the uh you know, I don't think Demon. I don't think Demon was cut short, but I think it could have gone for a little longer. And you know, that's like one of those things. Is it better to have a game that goes out on on a high point than uh, than you know, kind of gets into the the, the uh, supplement treadmill? And, and you, oh, what are we talking about now? Uh, hey, how about uh, all the Demon-owned bars? Yeah, that'd be a good one. Okay. <laughs> Nothing on the schedule right now, but certainly not an impossibility. Yeah, and that's a good point about Hunter. It really. I mean, all all the different monster types are basically covered. There's even a book about making your own. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of books about different creeds and all that. So, I, yeah, I guess it was pretty much uh, pretty much closing down, I'd say. Really, there was just a story that was still going. Right. Um, which, I don't know, it could have been moved to novels or something. Good point. Um, cool. So speaking of Hunter, there's there's a thread over on Shadow Nessence uh, about... You know, what would people want if Hunter had a 20th anniversary? Right. Uh, and one of the things that came up was was kind of the artwork. Um, not that it's it's bad. It's just that, in fact, a lot of it's really, really high quality, especially the uh, the Ron Spencer uh, mm-hmm. splat portraits and that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of very, like, su- super heroic, action-packed uh, scenes in the core book which don't really fit with uh, some of the words that were that were written. Actually, I th- I think I once counted them and there and there's 12. There's there's like yep. 12 pieces that are you know, uh the, the driving the spoon through the guy's yeah. head yep. and you know, yep. I mean things like that that are that are over over the top action shots. I was actually asked about this at one point by uh, Steve Wick and I was like, "No, there's only this many." It isn't actually the whole book. Does the whole book is not uh, is not asynchronous with each other, but there are pieces that. Uh, to, so if we're looking when we talk about appropriateness, we're talking about tonality. If during the process uh, we had a range from let's say um, you know uh, uh, five through fifteen was what what we were originally aiming towards, and some of the art pieces went closer to fifteen, and then. 
the tonality of the writing shifted from from one to ten, those pieces feel that that, that they're they're no longer illustrating the same thing. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and, and that's it's a it's essentially what happened. I mean, uh, you know, some of the if you look at some of the the, the promo shots uh, that we did there um, of uh, of uh, you know the 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 cheerleader type hunter and the uh, uh, almost a, a, a you know badass uh, leather clad hunter dude. Uh, if you look in the uh, there's 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 a suggestion of angel wings coming from behind that guy. Um, because that was okay. much more of an much more of an uh, of a an involved part of that story that you know the battle between good and evil and the and the messengers being much more overtly angelic was was a lot more what was was being discussed earlier in, in Hunter's creation. Okay, so, so no, it, it it definitely did. There was there was definitely a tonal shift that occurred in the Hunter property as as it was being developed and worked on and written. I mean, that, that sort of shift, I mean, is quite kind of focus. I mean, um, I think the most obvious shift I've ever seen in something like that is when you compare uh, what for Exalted, when the original art came in for that, and that right. one turns up in, um, in the Storyteller Companion. Or, yeah. Right. And then, uh, because there was that sudden shift from more from the traditional kind of work you would get into the Udon-style, and full-blown anime style, and... Yeah, the two the artwork. I mean, the classic example of artwork of, of a shift like that is there's a, a picture which is a, a guy on horseback running from some sort of uh, I want to say T-Rex type creature, and there's the exact same piece in a more Eastern kind of you know right. anime classic anime style, and yeah, it does change the tone of the book completely. Right. Yeah. And, then, uh, and in that case, in, in, in the case of Exalted, of course, that was what we were aiming towards. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. The, the writing had, had been made with the idea that, you know, however we wanted to depict it, it would, it would be appropriate. And if we could go towards more, uh, more manga uh, and anime mm-hmm. style, uh, that, was, that was how we wanted to sort of uh, wrap all that lovely writing up uh, in. But we weren't able to find enough. Uh, yeah. Guys, again, this was this was before you had deviant art. I mean, we couldn't just go yeah, on yeah. and search. So we were just having the hardest time. And by sheer serendipity, um, was it was it Udon who reached out to us, or, or the other yeah. guys? Um, um, well, I think it's Udon. Uh, I'm sure Udon did uh, quite a lot. I mean, it's there, pretty... there was another there was another studio that we also got involved with, who was a, a bunch of artists who could do do more work in that style. And so, yeah, I mean, that was and and I'm glad you like the the idea of the two pieces that you could compare and contrast um, because it's it's definitely a uh, uh, um, yeah, I mean, a, a deliberate it's, it's shift, you know, at that point. I mean, it's interesting because I mean, for me, I mean, the the two, I mean, when you see things depicting the same sort of scene, I mean, the tonal right. shift, as I said, so because um, I I try and try try and uh, when I've run Exalted, I try and push it more towards the kind of rather than going with the classic kind of epic high fantasy, is to make it more dark and gritty, so that all the epic stuff is even more epic. I think right. my my base level is something kind of more towards Escaflone rather than. Um, Rather than say Final Fantasy, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and again, and we wanted to present that range, and that was, I think, something that Exalted One uh, did very well, even with that sort of like, ah, okay, uh, we're going to pull these pieces out, we're going to put these pieces in. The pieces we left in, I think, enabled because I really was concerned about losing traditional gamer fantasy gamers' interest that they would just look at it and go, oh, it's a manga book, I don't care. 
I mean, because I don't know if you guys remember back at that time, but there was definitely a schism, and I still see it sometimes on RPG Net, where uh, I won't even touch it up because it's got—I I won't touch it because it's got all that Japamation in it. Yeah, you know. So I wanted mm-hmm. to have a, a nice range in there, but we had gotten very little actual, uh, uh, you know, anime uh, or manga influence work so to be able to get those guys on board and do the cover and, and stuff like that that was a, a huge um step in the direction we wanted to go in yeah. ah, very interesting um so so rich what's your thoughts on the uh, the art direction of w20 i'm not even sure uh if you've i'm sure you've sent out for our actually we know because we've seen uh, plenty of pieces right. from ron spencer and um steve prescott steve prescott yes yeah. So what, what are you thinking with the art direction for that? And a question I had also was that, because you can now do lots of full-color artwork, are you thinking about grabbing any like small pieces from Rage, maybe putting those in, maybe uh, to go along with the, the different gifts and that kind of stuff? I think I, Actually, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I had not considered pulling from Rage, only because the philosophy that I have for, that I did for V20 and also for Werewolf 20 on the art direction end is to try to stay very much to a core visual experience that people had in terms of both the artists we picked and the kind of things we're depicting um, when they picked up the core the first you know the one two and three you know or one two and revised core books what what was it what was it that people got into their heads on a visual level that kind of I, I know the impact that these books had now that I've talked to a lot of the fans and uh, and I don't want to put in stuff outside of that experience so in terms of uh, Werewolf 20, what I really tried to do is pull in the artists that, um, that I felt really represented Werewolf, uh, particularly um, in, 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 if I wanted to average it out, I'd say in the second edition mode. Um, okay. So uh, uh, just, to, just to give you an idea, there, there's going to be work. You've already seen Spencer and, and Prescott's, um, Dan Brereton. Drew Tucker is back with some pieces. Brian Wackwitz, was, which was an artist we used way early in Werewolf 1. Um, Richard Kane Ferguson. Jeff mm-hmm. Rebner, who did tons and tons of pieces for, for, for Werewolf. Um, you know, John, Spr- uh, John Bridges. Um, Steve Ellis. Uh, Brian LeBlanc. Uh, Jeff Holt, who, who did an enormous number of pieces for Werewolf, but uh, spread throughout the books. And then, uh, and then I do have John Cobb coming back, which I was so thrilled because I tried to find him for, for Vampire 20. I tried him all over the place, and I could not find him anywhere. And I should have just looked under John Cobb art on Facebook. Exactly <laughs> what? <laughs> I never knew it. So, um, yeah, it was uh, to being able to work with those guys again. This is one of my favorite parts of working on, on, on the uh, 20th anniversary books. Just hanging out on the phone, talking to these guys I haven't talked to. Some of these guys I haven't talked to in, in, in 10 or 15 years. Um, it's, it's, really been, it's really been wonderful. So to get their work. And what I'm trying to do is present their work as they're doing it now. I'm not asking them to go back and recreate what they did back in the day. Um, because we're also going to pull, like we did for V20, we're going to pull classic pieces from those uh, three core books and, uh, and re- reproduce them um, so that, you know, as you're going through it, 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 it's like seeing an old friend. Like, oh, my, I remember that piece. Uh, 
So, uh, yeah, we got a lot of, I mean, just incredibly positive feedback for that for, uh, for V20. So that's, uh, at least for, at least for, you know, W20. And if we do a mage 20, you know, I think that that philosophy is what's going to carry us through. Right. Um, right. The next question we've got is from La Sombra, who I was talking to on Twitter. So he, I forwarded him to Apostrus and he gave us some good questions here. Um, so Rich, Something that was mentioned in a previous interview, and Mike says mm -hmm. he can't remember exactly where, was that there'll be a new approach to New World of Darkness where you'll basically be kind of like uh, distilling the best parts uh, from right. certain books to lead towards like a, a finally a new core book which takes the best from what's been published. Um, so kind of what route are you going with this? Or, or uh, there's been rumors of Prejudice Taint maybe being removed or... If I could find a way to get that out of there completely, I would, but uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I have I just, no issue with Prentice Taint, really. I, um, I, it's something that I always hammer Justin about because he's so vehemently for it and was for it when I, I, I uh, questioned it's how it would be received when I first read the manuscript of the 17 proofs yeah. we did for, for Requiem. And uh, and he was very vehemently that this was an optional rule and it would be seen as an optional rule and don't worry about it. It's very yeah, it hasn't really rule. been seen as an optional rule. Uh, that, that, and that's clear because um, uh, we had uh, Dave Hill on talk about it in Dance Macabre with uh, yes. the modifications to it and how you use it in different venues. And, uh, yeah. Which I had, which I had asked him to do for Dance Macabre just because. That, yeah. I, yeah. I I felt and I and and experience has shown that you know, this is this this was the truism for. Not, I mean, not every, not everyone, obviously, but for a fair number of folks who've come up to me, um, that they felt they were being told what their character would do in a situation that they didn't want to lose that control, and it, that's how it read to me. It felt like an authorial intent. This is how your vampire should behave, as opposed to, wouldn't it be cool if your vampire did this thing? And and I think those are two very separate things when you're designing games. Um, and particularly games where you're already dealing with an audience who didn't have to have this happen with their vampires, this disconnected for a bunch of the, the classic World of Darkness Masquerade fans. When they read that, that was far into their experience in, uh, in, in Masquerade and was one of the reasons they couldn't adapt to, to Requiem. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, because you know, I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff in, in Requiem that... Uh, that I think they, they would have enjoyed, but this this just struck a really sour note. Uh, despite the fact that you know you still, I mean, you, you know, frenzy and Rostrek and you know all the all, all the other ways that you lose control. <laughs> yeah. But, but you could ride them, right? I mean, you could game them. Yeah. Right. And and Predator's Taint. No, it's by making it not part of the system, you couldn't game it. So it was really up to if your storyteller wanted to be a dick to you. Yeah. So, you know. Anyway, that's my Predator's Taint rant. Um, sorry to go down that and waste your time on it, guys. I know we're running out of time. Um, but I did want to say that one of the things that, that I'm really interested in is presenting for the new world of darkness uh, something along the lines that, and, and again, this is, this is a very rough way to describe it. It is not the full intent. Something along the lines of taking an idea for how one person could do the do setting for say how they would do the new world of darkness just the, just the blue books just world of darkness and providing a a chronicle 
in a very broad sense, uh, not necessarily in the, you know, and, and you know, uh, we're not doing a whole series of linked SASs, but in a, in a very broad sense that says, if you did this particular kind of chronicle, you would use these rules, and this is why you would use these rules from all the books we've written about the world of darkness up to this point, and, and kind of presenting, saying, almost like a default setting, but but not yeah. in any way that not in any way that you know we're saying you know hey this is Greyhawk you know for yeah uh, but more like you know if this is something that's interesting to you here's here's the whole thing laid out as a little bit I think one of the things that happened with the world of Dar- the new world of darkness was we, pre- we 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 went to a whole bunch of people who were very very used to getting their their game world and their setting from us in a particular way and we one eighty'd them yeah. and said now you're going to get it this way. And for people who were already kind of thinking that way, they were able to make that leap pretty easily uh, and, and were willing to because they were already thinking that way. But for people who were really, really in love with the way things had been, giving them a toolbox was like – it was, was just such a culture shock. Yeah. I think sometimes it's uh, from what I've learned from various other people's like uh, kind of like criticisms and why they can't really get into rec or something. It's, it's almost like they can't – they can't pull out the one tangible kind of uh, kind of chronicle they would run with right. all these bits there because there's so much choice and right. what would they use? And it's so much the same it's, problem, it's, like, say, yeah, when yeah. you're choosing, um, say, the difference, why, why does Vampire now ha- only have five uh, clans to choose from? Right. Because back in the old days, you got 13 plus bloodlines plus anything else, and it's like, which do you choose? And really, you're trying to distill it to this one core Very thing iconic, that you could run yeah. with. Yeah. No, that'd be really cool because, I mean, I think that was a, a follow-up question is the idea of, of, as you said, not strung along SAS, but the idea of like a, a, a kind of like a metaplot book is kind of the idea. It's like a, a chronicle book, which, as you say, tells you take this book and this one and this one right. and there's right. like, and, you and, need and, to play and, that and story. Very well contained, very much, you know, if this is what you're interested in, this example of how you can do this, you can yeah. use it You can use it as is, you can just say this is now going to be our chronicle because it's cool and I really want to play it or you can say, so this is how you take that. Oh, awesome. Now I get it. I can, you know, now I can do for mine what this book is, is demonstrating you can do. You know, I, I think it, I hope it will have that kind of uh, useful appeal on, on a lot of different levels. Yeah, it'd be really cool to see multiples, multiple ones of those, because you could just uh-huh. having three different flavors of vampire plus the toolbook is a toolbox, just general everything vampire. Because I mean, even in my stuff, there's stuff that I just I look at a, at a book, say in mythology, and it's like, yeah, I'm not going to use that one, not going to use that one, but that's really good, and that goes into my canon, and it's right. my canon. That is my world, and I know it's completely different to someone else's. Um, yeah. That's really wicked. Hopefully. I would love to see that. <laughs> and hopefully you'll see that next year in some way, somehow. But that's something that we're definitely working uh, towards. Wow. That would be really sweet. Yeah. Mike, you've got another question here. I don't know who lost underscore heretic is. <laughs> do you not? You've got another, we've got another do, question do here. Do you have like an official uh, voice for him different than your, your other voice? Or? Shh, guys, you're ruining the illusion. All right, fine. So lost underscore heretic asks... <laughs> Well, we're just kind of mentioning metaplot, sort of. So has the uh, strangeness in the proportion uh, POD been successful enough to warrant further uh, New World of Darkness fiction? Uh, can we wrangle another like novel out of Greg Stolte? So a couple, couple things on, on, on that level is um, I'm a big believer in pulling in more fiction. 
to the to both the game books and to uh, in just general product stuff. Um, bearing in mind that what we're not going to do is um, print up fifteen thousand paperbacks and try to sell them to the bookstores that don't exist anymore. Uh, so, so what we're, we're, we're doing is very carefully moving forward with, you know, what, how can we get these things out here? And like you, you mentioned strangers in the proportion. Absolutely. And the other, um, it was, the, it was the second, second runner up to our fiction contest, uh, that we, I think we, we, we ran back in the late forties. I think at this point, it's been so long, <laughs> uh, uh, called silent knife is going to be one of the things that are coming out, um, in this year. So we'll have another. Well, we will definitely have another fiction book out. I, I think uh, uh, Strangeness was, in my mind, one of my all-time favorite things I've read um, on any of our fiction. I really loved it. I thought it was the best depiction of Solomon Birch in anything. Uh, if you haven't read, if you haven't read it, and he did he, the, the the main storyline goes through there, but the the writer uh, Josh uh, Deutsch does um, little interstitial vignettes that take place around the world of darkness. And he does one thing with, uh, with Birch that, uh, I, I, I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that character. Oh yeah, that's cool. So <laughs> I like, you know, uh, if you haven't read it and you get a chance, it's, it's really not expensive from drive through, uh, as a PDF or, you know, whatever print on demand. Um, so yeah, we're looking at more sorts of things. I, one of the things I also am trying to see is, when we do a Kickstarter for a for a major project, and we do a deluxe version of that, um, I really like the idea of uh, of fiction, whether novels or novellas or short stories, as part of the stretch goals for that. I think that that's a, a really neat way to be able to proceed with that because you know that if the writer is willing to write x it's a novel for x amount of money, all you need to do then is make sure your stretch goal yeah. covers covers that and that guy knows he's got a job <laughs> you know to do mm-hmm. to do that and he's going to get and 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 we know that we don't have to worry about um uh, all the auxiliary stuff that goes into a fiction line all we need to do is to all the people who ordered this it's covered here's 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 a, a fiction uh, pdf enjoy and i think it's uh i think it's a win-win for everybody uh and, and enable i hope it enables us to get more fiction out there to everybody uh, we haven't done it yet with any of our stuff. I mean, you know, but that's one of the things I'm looking at for Kickstarters. Yeah, cool. great, great. Sounds like a really good idea. Um, so Echo Doken asks, are there any secret projects you'd like to tell us about? Well, I, 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 I sort of talked about one of them right I there. I really yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I talked about the, the, the new game in 2013, sort of. Um, let me see... No, but I I will tell you that uh, that we will be doing a fair amount of revealing of things on July fifteenth. So uh, uh, we're going to do a little. Uh, hopefully, hopefully everybody gets their ducks in a row, and we do a nice combined announcement on the White Wolf site as well as uh, some of the other things that we're working on, and uh, give a give a little look into the schedule at that point. Uh, I, there's some things we can't commit on. I mean, obviously, like I would, I would love to be able to just say, on July fifteenth, we're definitely doing Mage twentieth, but we're not at that point yet, uh, where we can confirm that. But um, you know, those are the sorts of things we we wouldn't have on the schedule necessarily, but uh, certainly we're thinking about. 
Indeed, indeed. Fair enough. Well, someone had to ask, of course. Oh, absolutely. And 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 after the fifteenth, if you guys want to get together again and some and, and do a, you know, a follow up to this uh, where we can talk about some of these things and 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 sort of go into some more details. That, that would be, be awesome. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, favorite piece of art in any World of Darkness book is that the? Yeah, it's a rather mean question, I'm sure, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, people ask me the same thing, you know, do you, you know, what's your favorite game line? And and really, it's really tough to, to narrow anything down to something like favorite. Um, and I'm not a real, like, I mean, you, I, I, you probably, if you said, what's your favorite movie? I could, I could tell you five of my top favorite movies. And then if you want to break them into genre, I could get even, you know, but. Um, so, um, favorite piece of art in any World of Darkness book. Um... Should we give him time to think, Mike? What's your favorite? Oh, I can I can answer that. So, in Vampire the Masquerade, it's def- it's in V20, and it's definitely in the revised. It might also be in second edition. There's the uh, the the coterie of of Bruja. They're all standing around like some glowing oh, the, glow. The glow yeah, from- yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah. We got that. I, I think, think we got that for revised, and then I, I, I also because it's such a classic, and at this point, people just love that piece that I put in V twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in my favorite from Old Lamp. World of Darkness is um, which one is it? Is the I know oh, is it revised? Yeah, um, Virtual Adepts cover by Christopher Shy. Mm-hmm. Christopher Shy, always a good guy. Yeah, I yeah, love Chris, that cover. Zanika. Um, well, I think one of the one of, I think one of the best pieces of artwork I like from New World of Darkness is the cover for uh, the Free Council um, for Mage. Uh-huh. I think it's really iconic of just how crazy the Free Council is with their magic. Mm. I actually have that right here as well. Yep, that's lovely. You just assume you guys don't have the uh, the the Skype uh, video on. You can see my wall of White Wolf products behind me. <laughs> uh, the, uh, unfortunately, we don't have that. Yeah. Um, I can I can also say that I really like the. Uh, I've got it right here. It's page fourteen of Changing the Lost. Uh, it's got okay. a uh, a statue in a uh, an mm-hmm. old park in the distance. There's this uh, uh, yeah, top yeah. hat. Definitely yep. one that stands out. Yep. That piece inspired me for um, one of my Changeling. Uh, episodes of my chronicle, so it shows you what a good piece of art can do. It's exa- and that's exactly what I love to hear. That I love when when people say, inspire me to be have this character or, or to run an entire you know chronicle or, or or just it was the first time I really got it. You know, I think that's mm. that's one of the magic things that happens with the visuals. There's some really nice. Yeah, I like some of the the artwork in uh, Victorian Lost. That is really good because obviously it's it's uh, all original. Yeah, it's predominantly yes. all original art because it, it has should all fit. be original. Um, yeah. Victorian, yeah, it's all yeah. So um, yeah, it's really great. Uh, um, I really like the bit where there's there's a really good image with um, some sort of uh, motley uh, going down through the hedge, and there's mm-hmm. you know rail tracks through the hedge, and that's just awesome. <laughs> yeah. It was a metaphor they were playing around with a lot in the, in the writing of it. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, the steam age. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 tough for me. Like, um, I I know of. Uh, I mean, there's certainly some pieces that you know, Kaluta did for me from Mage, uh, the Awakening that I absolutely loved. Um, 
there's the spider woman in um, Forsaken. Oh, yes. That the I thought was, was awesome. There's a picture in the, main, the, the New World of Darkness core rule book uh, of a, a figure and a wheelchair. Yes, yeah. Which I have to tell oh, you, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, all these years of working with all these horror images, that one creeped me out. I, I think was, there's a lot, a lot of a lot of the digital kind of manipulation artwork in the uh, New World of Darkness core book is just stunning. I think that really sold me on what New World of Darkness is, and I, I, kind I, of like, yeah. I was very lucky to get. What is it? Uh, is it Jason Manley did the uh, the full pages, and he he nailed what we were going for. Absolutely, it was just absolutely beautiful work. Uh, you know what? I could tell you. I will tell you what. <laughs> probably my favorite pieces, and and I'm I'm sorry for. Uh, and, and I'm sorry for everyone who has other pieces that they love a lot, and then I'm I'm now telling them that this was not legitimate because I love this piece mostly. The cover for Scion Hero is absolutely ah, my favorite mm, piece. Mm. You know what I mean? The fellow with the the gun and the ravens and the runes, and I love that piece. Uh, and I think I love it because it. it was one of those beautiful moments where the sketch that I did got the elements across and we sent it to him. And when this thing came back, it, I, I, I actually had to sit down and look at it. It was just like, because <gasps> what I had done was a utilitarian sketch that got the point across and he had created this beautiful piece of art. And that, that was a really neat moment, you know, and, and it, 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 it happens, you know, it happens a, a fair amount, but that was, you know, that was one that just blew me away. So, how about that one? All right, sounds good. So, Rich, this is the question, okay? We ask it to everyone on their first time being on the show. Okay. Rich, cool. if you could be a household appliance, which would you be and why? Mm. Let me see. So, something, uh, something in the kitchen or around the whole house? Anything. I think it's around, yeah. Well, you can't be an iPhone, though. Yes, yeah. I'm sure someone tried to be an iPhone, but that was Eddie Webb. Ah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. Weirdly <laughs> enough, I, I, the first thing that came to mind was, was the, uh, the, the uh, router that I have that <laughs> connects me up to the internet because I couldn't live without that. Mm, okay. So if I was that, I, I would be sure that I could both. Uh, you know, get out into the into the in the internet and and see all the things that I want to see and stay in connection with everything and 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 be very helpful for for my family. Where like, you know, I, don't, I think every single one of us uses something that then has to get onto the onto the web. So you know, uh, so yeah, I think I would I would feel both useful and I would be uh, as 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 my own entity. If I had any consciousness, I'd be able to go out and 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 be have access to all the information that exists in the world. All right, good answer, good answer. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Uh, so, Rich, uh, is there a website that you have, or uh, of course, you have your Twitter account, uh, anything like that that uh, that allow people to get in touch with you? Well, I mean, you can uh, you can uh, email you can email me at uh, rich t r i c h t at um, the onyxpath dot com, which uh, you know I'll, I'll I'll just leave that for you to, to 
question about that. Uh, T-H-E-O-N-Y-X-P-A-T-H dot com. Um, that's the that's the, the simplest way to get to me. Um, the, uh, uh, and the, the Twitter, what is my Twitter anyway? <laughs> I rarely look at my own name there. Rich underscore Thomas underscore WW. And uh, yeah, and, and these days, an enormous amount of information gets 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 posted about on that Twitter. Um, it also goes to my to my Facebook account, so it's it's definitely a, a place where you know as we're having meetings or we're having discussions or I'm talking you know for all the different kooky projects we're working on, we're doing updates to uh, to uh, um, you know uh, kickstarters and things like that. Um, but one of the things we're going to be talking about on on July fifteenth is um, you know hopefully a a much more condensed and uh, and uh, coherent way of getting information around. I know that it's been tough for people to get to hear everything that we're that White Wolf is up to and, and, and Classic World of Darkness and the Onyx Path and all that. And uh, and we should be able to uh to uh enable people to stay on top of that stuff a lot better uh come the fifteenth of July. Huh. Very cool. Very cool. Mm. Um, of course, if you want to get in contact with Darker Days Radio, um, one of the best ways is to check our Facebook, which is facebook.com slash Darker Days Radio. Uh, we're on Twitter at, at Darker Days Radio. Our email address is darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. And of course, there is our posterous account, which should be posterous.com slash Darker Days Radio, which has been really hopping lately. And I think we'd really like to get uh, some more people on there. Chris uh, was kind enough to redo the overall web design of it. Uh, it looks a lot nicer. How do you, how do you spell posterous? P O S T E R O U S. O U S. Yeah, we just use it because um, uh, whether it's uh, we're reviewing, say, films, which I right. hope to have something done for, or books, or games, or anything secret frequency like which we find in our travels and post up there because it reposts to facebook which makes life easy and means we've got all our bases covered yeah. um and people can comment on there and you know uh, take part in whatever little uh, hunt the reference game that's going on mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely a lot nicer for a uh, long-form discussion than say facebook is so right. uh, that's why we definitely like to encourage it um, Interesting. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. All right, sounds good. So, Rich, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, you really helped peel back the veil of White Wolf Past and White Wolf Present. Uh, and uh, really excited to see what comes out of White Wolf in the future. Yeah, well, it was it was sure. awesome, guys. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. July 15th, yeah. July 15th. <laughs> da, da. Dun, dun, Did I emphasize dun. that enough? I know. <laughs> sounds good. All right, so that's it for this episode of Darker Days of Radio. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, and have a good night. Bye. These individuals could be socially stunted, and one can only imagine their actions in the Shadowlands. And there's a ice cream truck passing right by. <laughs> Hopefully they don't hear that in the episode. So, in Werewolf the Apocalypse...